What's happening, weirdos? Uh, so sorry for the delay. Obviously, we have the new baby. I'm, I'm gonna blame. I'm gonna blame the baby. <laughs> it's like, it's like a curb your enthusiasm episode. I'm going to blame having an 11 day old baby who are we're just doing so great. Val is not here. I had to run out this morning. I, I didn't even realize I had something this morning at 9:30, and Val woke me up at 9:15 and was like, "Don't you have something to do?" Because you know, time doesn't exist. In the most beautiful way. Time is not a thing anymore. All we are about is the baby, and we live with the baby, and we're on the baby schedule. So, like, setting an alarm and getting up to do a thing made no sense, and unfortunately, that included recording an intro. But here we are. I'm recording it now in my car, so we can uh, get this episode. It's Joey Ryan from the uh, from the from the Milk Carton Kids, um, which is a wonderful duo and now full band. Um, that I love, but Joey is also one of the funniest performers I know. He's he's a, certainly funniest musicians that I've seen perform, and he's on the third season of Crashing because I loved him so much. I I wrote a part for him, and he's incredible, and we loved him, and he killed it. So if you don't know the band, we're going to play a little bit of their music, and I want to introduce you to him and his wonderful brain and personality in this wonderful podcast. Um, I'm doing San Francisco, October 25th weekend. I'll be at Cobbs. I believe tickets are still available. Uh, I mean, a lot of San Franciscan weirdos and surrounding area weirdos can make it to that show. I'll be running my new hour, which I'll be taping in Portland, uh, November 3rd. Um, it's a Friday, Saturday, and Saturday sold out, but Friday, I think there's still some tickets available at the Aladdin Theater in Portland, Oregon. Um, also, if you're listening to this the day it came out, uh, Wednesday, this Friday, I'm going to be uh, at doing my show at Largo, my monthly show at Largo. It's always incredible. This month, we have Dimitri Martin, uh, and I, I can't remember the rest. <laughs> I know Dimitri's on it, and I know it's always incredible. And I have a bunch of new baby jokes and stuff, which is going to be a lot of fun to talk about with you guys. Um, baby material. <laughs> <laughs> unexpected perk of having a baby you have a lot of things to make jokes about um yeah i think that's it blah blah san francisco portland largo you can always check uh twitter for upcoming shows as well um and i do want to give a shout out to pete's picks which i've been swearing by i had to go and do voiceover this morning so you, you definitely pop a few alpha brain on the way over alpha brain is made by a company called on it it's a nootropic we know this by now. It's actually because of Alpha Brain. Probably I'm able to remember this stuff because Alpha Brain is earth-grown ingredients. It's not a stimulant. It helps you with concentration, memory, focus, recall. It helps you with uh, language. Anytime I have to do something that involves communication, I always take Alpha Brain 15 minutes before podcasts, before writing, before conversations. Honestly, it's wonderful because I don't love coffee. But I love being able to think, and Alpha Brain is the uh, supplement that I take that gives my brain the nutrients it needs to operate. I wish I had it in college. I want you guys to try it now. Go to onnit.com, O-N-N-I-T.com slash weird, and you'll get 10% off everything on that page. The other product, the other Pete's pick that we know, it's right here in the car beside me, is called Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web is hemp oil. It's made from the hemp plant, but they use science to remove the THC and they leave the body beneficial, brain beneficial CBD, which is wonderful. I swear by it. Gives you a happy, healthy glow. I am going to have to pause this ad in the middle. 
Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, Charlotte's Way of Hemp Oil. Pete's pick because I swear by it. It is, uh, this is anecdotally speaking for me, it's an anxiety reducer. It helps me relax. It helps me sleep. I've lately been buying the uh, hemp-infused balm, which is amazing for sore muscles. Sometimes I rub it on my temples when I have a headache. I love the balm. They have all these new products that are coming out. You should just see what looks right. I like the Everyday Advanced Oil. Um, I believe it has a new name, but it says it used to be called Everyday Advanced. Mint chocolate, tastes like a thin mint. Literally, it's a little bit pricey, but you can take drops of it. The bottle will last you a very, very long time because you can just take a couple drops, put it on your hand and lick it off. It doesn't matter. Tiny amount. It's almost subperceptual, but you feel yourself being like a little bit lighter, a little bit quicker to laugh, a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more at ease. And I always say a little bit quicker to smile. <laughs> it's like, I call it my happy juice when I'm on set. I go, can someone please give me my happy juice? It doesn't get you stoned. You can still work. You can still concentrate. It's not a narcotic or an intoxicant in that way. It's just something that sort of melts the edges off. And I swear by it. I love it. I take it every day. Um, so I want you to try it. The best way to know it is to try it. Go to cwhemp.com slash weird and use promo code keep it crispy for any of the products that you see there. And I actually just ordered some of the new products. I don't even know. Uh, there's, there's different ones on there that are on the way on their way to my house. So I'm encouraging you, if you see something interesting on there, try it out. Um, if it's made by the Stanley brothers, it's the only hemp grown for human consumption in America, in Denver. Uh, so try it. Uh, so try Pete's Pick. Hope to see you at Largo. Hope to see you in Portland. Hope to see you in San Francisco. Enjoy Joey Ryan. You'll you'll hear, obviously, this was recorded before baby, before baby Lila was born. Um, but enjoy. I wish Val was here to say get into it, but I'll say it. Get into it. Yeah.
I love these little picadillos to begin what you say when you're late. That's interesting to me. Also that you consider five minutes late, late, which I don't. I'm to the air now. Go ahead. He, yeah, he said, um, sorry that I'm late. Who is this? I, I didn't. <laughs> the rabbi that was doing our wedding was late to our wedding. Really? Yeah. When, when, did you, when was stressful. that? Yeah, that is stressful. Um, and he, did it hold rolled, things up, or yeah. were you just like no, looking no, for everybody it? was there waiting. Not like the... He was he was there before, like, the guests and stuff, but, like, you know, all the family and everybody was, like, just standing there for a while waiting. Oh, those will and he got there, and he said... He got there, and he said, I'm sorry that I'm late. I didn't leave with enough time to get here. <laughs> <laughs> was he joking? No, he was just, like... It was his way of saying, I have no excuse. I just didn't leave enough time. I didn't leave with enough time to get here. <laughs> it's kind of tautological. Tautological? Yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> You're going to say tautological? I want you to. Maybe I won't but say I it won't. again. No, Jesus. no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just impressed. What does tautological mean? It's like it is what it is. It's like something is true because it's true, I think. I think that's what it means. It's I like, mean, it is. Like, now, don't you know, Google it, Katie. Self, self-evident. <laughs> I don't know why I don't want you to Google it. Yeah, t- self-evident. We Almost hold these like truths circular. to be tautological. Like, sorry I'm late. I didn't get here in time. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But I like that honesty. It, yeah, it was his way of saying, I, he, he wasn't like trying to blame it on traffic or something. Right. It was like, it's, his way of saying it's my fault. It I took just, me longer to get here than I thought. Yeah. It's a common tautological expression. <laughs> right. I'm not fucking with you. Are you using that correctly? <laughs> <laughs> For a second, I thought you were worried. I was worried you thought I was messing with you. I didn't know that right when I walked in the door that it was going to be we were going to be podcasting. Well, how do you feel about it? <laughs> I feel good. If I was your therapist, I'd say I find it significant. <laughs> do you do? You know, I my my dad is a psychologist. I grew, is he? I grew up with a psychologist. Did he have an art, like a study? Yeah, but now he wasn't, he did do therapy, but that wasn't his main thing. What was his his main thing was a thing that sounds cooler than what it actually is, but also I'll say the title first and then I'll explain. (laughs) But he's a forensic psychologist, which sounds cool because it's like, you know. Yeah, CSI. Forensic files, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I do want to live in a moment where I don't know what forensic psychology is. It does sound like it's involved with crime. Forensics, I thought, was like, the things you leave behind, you know, forensics, right. like fibers. Yeah. But certainly he's not doing... The, so the criminal would the criminal side of things would be like one half of it, which he did not do. The other side is like civil. <laughs> the word we have the for civil really side. boring. <laughs> yeah. Civil. No, it's like people suing people or organizations for psychological damages, and then they have to have like, a, you know, get evaluated by a professional and then they you know come in and testify as to what the damages were so forensic doesn't mean fibers left behind a crime scene it just means to be used in the court of law perhaps i guess evidence evidential yeah evidential psychology yeah yeah it doesn't have to be criminal he he wasn't like right know what is the psychological damage you could undergo that your emotional distress post-traumatic stress um Depression, and, so, you know, any psychological. Like what happened at Trader Joe's? Like somebody could sue Trader exactly. Joe's. And 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 so part of what he would do was trauma counseling for things like that. So he would see them, and then he would offer his experience as evidence in a case. Correct. 
yeah. with the patient's consent. Uh, yeah. Well, the patient's the one trying to like Win. receive damages. Yeah. Or Which like, is kind of a loaded situation. I'm sure that's what the defense would say. It's like, yeah, he went to the, who's, well, they who's have their other expert. It's like any expert, you know, it's like anytime you call an expert witness in a trial, each side has their own expert. And the one side expert is saying this guy's messed up and the other guy's saying, no, he's not. Or they're it's both so agree that he's messed up, but they're testifying that it's not the defendant's fault. Right, right, right. That's very interesting. To some degree. Yeah, I think it almost, I wonder if in a per- perfect situation, the patient shouldn't know which psychologist is from who. Right. Because you'd want to lead them. I mean, we do this just in regular therapy. You want, right. on a certain level, you want your therapist to like, to like you yeah. or to agree with you. Yeah. So you sort of like code it for the first year or so. So what his job ends up being is like human lie detector. Because there's the, you, you're dealing with people who are telling a story about their own psychological state and damages with a specific goal in mind, which is to win a financial judgment. So he, he's having to do something very tricky, not just therapy, but like is this person. Yeah, so in shit? those cases, he wasn't doing therapy. He was just doing an evaluation. Right, right. Then separately, the other part of the business would be doing therapy for... Yeah, and, he, and for what was that like growing up with, a, with the like, human lie detector? Yeah, you, <laughs> <laughs> did he teach you techniques, or did you figure out how to beat him? No, no, I did not. <laughs> I I only figured out that he was doing it, like you know, at some point at late my in my adolescence. Yeah, <laughs> the rabbi. Yeah, when the late. rabbi was late, <laughs> and my dad knew yeah. he was lying. Yeah, I mean, wait a minute, there was no traffic at all. So he was just always seeing through you. Yeah. Were you the kind of kid that had a lot of lies? No. No, but... And now that I have small kids of my own, and the older one is almost five, mm. um, I see... I can start to see in him what I realize now that I was doing the whole time that I was growing up, which was he's oblivious to the fact that we as adults are see, everything. see everything. Yeah. And are so much smarter. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah he's five, and Running so the gap will close. But yeah. still, like by the time you leave the house, you're eighteen. Your parents know if they're paying it if they're, you know, involved parents or whatever as yeah. mine were, like, they know everything. Right. You're not really sneaking anything by them. As a do you let your kid experiment in lies and truth you know what i mean or do you yeah. immediately bust him or do you go like i kind of want to see where this is going like he's covered in blueberry <laughs> juice <laughs> right. and it's like did you eat the blueberries yeah no. i mean at this point <laughs> like he, he can't keep it, it going very long yeah you know because yeah now we have we're not really to the phase of lying yet what is that time i don't really i don't know we don't know i don't he know could when be they doing start it. like <laughs> lying you time. know to like gain an advantage he might lie very quickly if he knows maybe he's done something wrong and he wants to just sort of immediately say it didn't happen. But right, he can't he can't get very far yet. But right. later, I assume. But I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he can't. Maybe he won't ever ever really be able to get farther than that. Because when I look back, you know, we lived in a relatively small house, and I thought I was hiding stuff from them, and like literally physical stuff. Yeah, physical stuff, or like you know, toward the end of high school, I getting high all the time really yeah they knew everything yeah and one day because you smell like it yeah yeah (laughs) i guess reek of it i didn't i thought i was covering my tracks yeah and one day i was 17 or something at the end of high school and i can't remember exactly the occasion like why he chose this moment but 
and I probably can't remember because I was high, but he, <laughs> he goes, you know, I think I came home. He goes, you know, your mom and I know every time you come home high. And I was like, I think I, I think I said I know, but I didn't know. <laughs> so you lied. And then he just went in the kitchen and made dinner, or whatever he was doing. He, you know, he wasn't like getting me in trouble. I think he just needed to call me out in that moment, like so you could do you're with not, that what you will. Yeah, like you're not. We're letting this all happen. You know, you think you're getting away with something, but it's just us letting it. It's very 12 monkeys. Like at the end, you realize the establishment was making everything happen. They let it happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Now I I see that. uh, Now I see that that's probably the way it's going to be with my kid. And we're it's uh, who was pointing it out. I forget was someone was pointing it out recently with like uh, with Steven Spielberg movies you rarely, when, when they're about kids, you rarely, like the adults have no presence. Like yeah. you see the adults from like the neck down a lot of the time. Like a kid's world doesn't include adults. They don't right. understand that the adults are watching and paying attention. That's like true. They assume that. Well, it's Charlie Brown. Right. It's just like something over there. Right. And they seem so false. Mm-hmm. It's funny that they're watching us be false. But I remember very distinctly being like, grownups are phony. Mm. You know what I mean? Like the like at a party, they'd be like, "So uh, you still you still at the barber shop?" <laughs> right. And they'd be like, "Well, yeah, you know things." Right. And it's just like nobody gives a fuck about this. Like it's so boring. <laughs> right. Like as a kid, you're just like, "Why don't you just scream? Just yeah. scream and roll." Yeah. But grown ups are like, "Well, this is." I remember my parents, I think, even explaining that to me. Like, "Well, this is how we talk." This is <laughs> Sometimes we you do have this. to. But it's kind of sad that yeah. you lose that. Yeah, the kids uh, don't can't do small talk, and <laughs> which is why they have so many awkward pauses. Yeah, yeah, that's why they stare at you. Too. Yeah, they don't do they? Understand what they're doing to you? Yeah, they don't. They know. still stare. <laughs> yeah, and they'll just not acknowledge if you say something to them or yeah, <laughs> greet them. And watching them have it, like he just uh, our older one just started at the elementary school. And so, like, now we're watching him have interactions, you know, with, with other kids and even some older kids that are around, because before that was just preschool. And, like, even the older kids are just, like, he'll go up to him and be like, hi, and they'll just stare. <laughs> and it's, and they were just like, don't you want to, like, ask him how his day was? And he's like, no. Why? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't say no. He did, That right. question doesn't even register. Isn't it a little bit like being on Mushrooms where you're just like, why would we talk about earlier? <laughs> you know what I mean? Have you ever been so locked in the moment earlier? that you're like, that it's before. stupid to talk about earlier? Yeah. And why would we plan for later? We don't know how it's going to go. Right. Could, like, I've wanted to swim and it rained, so why talk about that? Right. And you're just so like, I really am convinced that kids are kind of having a psychedelic experience, the way they're fascinated mm-hmm. with everything mm. and the way they can be entertained. I, and I was actually just recently thinking about this, I think it was yesterday. I used to go to Chuck E. Cheese, and I had this very vivid memory. This it's is actually, when you were a child. Yes, it's a, but it's a, yeah, last week. <laughs> <laughs> I just hang out with dark sunglasses. You, you're not a left. Is that right? I, actually, I don't know for a fact that this is true, but I've, it's like one of these rumors that you. goes around society. That, but you can't go to Chuck E. Cheese unless you have, there's a kid with you. I think that's true. Yeah. I have a memory of a memory, and the memory is going to Chuck E. Cheese and remembering what it was like the last time I was there. And I think it had been years. Right. So let's say I, I'm bad with ages, but let's say it was five and then again at seven. Mm-hmm. So I'm seven and I'm going to Chuck E. Cheese and I'm remembering when I was five and I remember the fun house. I remember very vividly being very transfixed right. by this fun house. Yeah. 
and it was filled with like colorful balls and there was a maze and there were tubes and there was a uh, I think there was a thing that spun that you had to walk through and then when you're leaving the maze there are these mirror there's these glass uh, like inserts in the wall and in there there were like pieces of cheese like because it's a mouse like, don't forget Chuck E. Cheese right. Charles Cheese is <laughs> Mr. Cheese he's a mouse so <laughs> he loves cheese <laughs> You know, it really isn't. His last name isn't even cheese. It's just a reference to how much he loves cheese. That's how much he loves cheese. So there are these like kind of framed, you know, what is that called? Like a cupboard, but you can't open it. Mm-hmm. Glass. And there's a piece of cheese. And I remember being like leaving the the funhouse and even being so transfixed with the cheese. It's right. the thing that you see when you're leaving. Uh-huh. And I, I had this memory of like, didn't it move? Like it kind of moved a little bit right. and it looked. It looked real, and me and my little friends were like, it's real cheese. Because you're always hungry right, as yeah, a kid, yeah. and you're like, I want that fucking cheese. That's why they put the glass Plus, up. all it takes is one of the kids to say, it's real, you know? Yeah. And then all the kids are like, You believe real. it. Yeah. And then you see it. Yeah. But not only do you like believe it, you see right. it. Like, suddenly you see it as real, and it is real. So, but then you went back later. And then I went back, and the funhouse was the worst. By this point, I had an older brother, and mm-hmm. he was sort of shitting on it. Spoiling. So, he's sort of affecting my reality. I hated the funhouse, and then I was walking out. And I saw the framed cheese, and it was just a piece of clearly fake, smaller than I remembered, less vivid than I remembered, stupid fucking cheese. It certainly wasn't moving. Did nothing for me. And it was was like, I don't want to throw the word existential around, but it was a crisis. But I was like, oh, I'm growing up. And I remembered what it was like when the world, when everything twinkled. And I was like, shit, I'm one step closer to my parents Right. And talking like they do. I have the same exact experience with Disneyland. Is that right? Yeah. I remember the first time that I went there when I was too old for it. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like a parking lot in Anaheim <laughs> all of a sudden. <laughs> like, going because I grew up in Los Angeles, so we would go once a year. Yeah. You know, not all, we didn't have like season passes or whatever, but like. You know, every year some kid would have his birthday party at Disneyland. Sure. So like probably once a year. And it was magical. Yeah. And it was real. Like you said, it twinkled. Yeah. You know, it all, yeah. All the stuff there was real. And like, just if I were describing it as an, I would, if, if, if there were a place that did for me as an adult, what, what it did for me as a kid, I would say like the attention to detail in this place <laughs> Yeah. was just mind-boggling. Can I say that that's how I feel when I go to Disneyland now? <laughs> oh, really? But I'm different. I go, look at the landscaping. Right. <laughs> like, I'm always pointing out to Valerie which flowers are real. Uh-huh. Like, these are real. Uh-huh. They're all real. The answer is, right. they're all real. But, like, but so not the this... rocks. Like, the rocks, the rocks of, right. like, Spl- Splash Mountain yeah, and everything. Well, and have kids hurling into real rocks. Of course not. But, <laughs> like, it didn't occur to me until a certain point that it was all fake. But yeah. I, now I'll have to go back and pay attention to the flowers. But yes, for the most part, and, and the and forced also, perspective of those rocks because they make it look so far away. It's right. really close, but right. it's just small. So you go and, and like, how wow. small everything was. Everything's small. I mean, it. You know, the Matterhorn felt like it was probably like felt like what the Alps actually feel like yeah. to an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you go there and like, well, you're nine feet tall. <laughs> You go, and I feel the same way. Yeah, I'm dusting the top of it. Yeah, but yeah, I, what's so? What is the point? Kids are kids are well, kids are on mushrooms. Stup- right, I was going to say they're stupid, but no, but it's just that they're on mushrooms. Well, but they that's haven't why- gotten used to because aren't our brains building reality? Yeah, and their brains are still sort of new at it. Yeah. So me seeing the cheese moving is probably just because my brain 
was still kind of new yeah. at going. That like, was a possibility. Now I have all these assumptions. Yeah. And I go, it's probably plastic. Like I said, my brother sort of planted in my brain that yeah. it's no good. Do you remember how powerful that was if an older kid was like, oh, just yeah. even saying like that movie's stupid? Yeah. That still happens. If someone recommends a movie to me yeah. and I don't like the person, I'll go and not like the movie just to well. prove that I'm right about what an idiot they are. Mm-hmm. What is that? <laughs> but I like. I won't try to not like the movie. I'll actually be like Thor Ragnarok right. sucks. Like messes. Like it I up hate it. It really yeah. ruins it for me. Yeah, I think that's why. Like that's why adolescence is so hard, and why you can be so rude is because now you start to see through. You know, like when you're a kid, the the small talk that adults make just doesn't register with you. It doesn't make any sense. And right. when you're an adolescent, you start to see what they're doing and realize how shitty it is in what some do you mean? sense. How? Well, dishon- you like see it as you're dishonest. you're trying to get something from Yeah. Well, well, there are all these power plays and going like, well, Joey, do you rent or own? You know what I mean? Like right. the, these are like weird uh, primal. Right. I, where do we stand in the pecking order? Right. <laughs> there are these things that are going on. And there's sex negotiation yeah. going on that doesn't make sense until you're, what, 15, 13? Well, it's later for me. Is that right? Yeah, none of that made sense to me for until uh, a little bit later than... You were late bloomies? Late no. bloomer, yeah. Really? I believe yeah. I said bloomies, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't willing to say I was a late bloomer and say bloomies at the same time. I understand, because that, that would admission. seem like you still haven't bloomed. <laughs> what does that mean? I lost my virginity when I was 21. That's pretty late. Yeah, I, I, didn't, have, uh, I didn't have a girlfriend until I was 19, which was the first person I slept with, yeah. 19. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Yeah. But still. Just upon arriving to do you, college. Do you mean you remember everyone being horndoggy and, and you didn't, you were just like, what's that about? I still. No, I, I, what I mean is I wasn't aware of, I wasn't aware of when people were into me, oh. of when girls were into me. Yeah. And they were. Looking back, I think there might have been a couple occasions. That happened when to me they too. Were. Yeah. And I, and I was oblivious. I mean, yeah. like a, you know. Like like a child not understanding the conversation me too. that was actually happening in the room. I remember a girl sniffing me out because I was religious, mm-hmm. and I was very tall, and she was very tall. And looking back, I think I'm like I think she wanted to date. Right. First of all, just the optics of it. Right, you're, you're seven feet tall, so you understand. Yeah. Sometimes a taller woman would just be like, just just for the prom photo. Right. Can, can we please right. date? I need somebody taller. <laughs> yes. Than me. I can't be with you're like the only one here. The Stanislavopoulos boy. <laughs> he's he's four foot nine. <laughs> He's the only one hitting me up. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't even tall. I wasn't tall in high school, though, until the very end. I grew like four inches in the last year. Late boomies. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I guess physically. I guess I meant, I meant psychologically, but I guess a little bit physically, too. Oh, psychologically, yeah. Well, but is it, when did you didn't start playing? Why do I feel like you didn't start playing music until I didn't. Later. Until late, yeah. You did yeah. start playing later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, my, the, my my current life. Why do I feel like it's really, like there was a musician in the student lounge near college, and he just was like holding a guitar, and he had to pick something up, and he was like, "Here, hold this," right. and he just went. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. No, it wasn't even that. It's not. It's, it's way less romantic it and wasn't magical that. than that. No, it was a good guess. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I guess I did like mess around with the guitar in high school, 
um, a little bit. Like my my parents had a guitar in the house. Yeah, my mother had been in like the harmony duo in college at Berkeley, which is where I went to school. And then you like, went to Berkeley College of Music? No, UC, oh, this UC one Berkeley. Berkeley. Yeah, because I was not a musician at the time. Right, that checks out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> I so, just like, thought maybe you were like, I'm not into music, but I'm going to go to the most prestigious <laughs> right. music school. Yeah. Because I think maybe I'll get into so it. It was a paperwork mix up. and <laughs> <laughs> I think that's interesting how so many of us go to schools near where we live. Obviously, it makes sense. Mm. But so then I suppose there's an argument to be made to live near good schools because there's a good chance right. your kid's going to want to I didn't like, want to go to school around. near... I wanted to go to school on the East Coast, and I made a last-minute decision kind of based on money to go to the, a public school in California uh-huh. rather than a private school on the East Coast. Oh, okay. Because it was... It was uh, presented to me like the cost difference of the four years was presented to me your parents like gave you a talk they were like look we know when you're high too <laughs> yeah it's gonna cost 17 times more yeah yeah boarding yeah. and all did you live at home no i grew up in la and berkeley's up in the bay area obviously. i don't know where things are oh so berkeley's up in berkeley yeah and, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh no it was just just tuition i mean to, for private versus in-state public right. school and it's you know it's the best public school in the country it wasn't like uh yeah no, that's, i didn't know that was anyway that's what i went there at the last minute just because kind of because of that and also i visited for a weekend and had a good time i believe this is a plot of 90210 where brandon was gonna go somewhere else but then mm-hmm. he ends up going to like the local beverly hills college yeah. and the gang stays together right that was that was for more season <laughs> That was for more seasons. Yours was to save money. Yeah, basically. For your family. That's nice. I did the same thing for high school. Uh huh. Like, I, I just noticed how much money just seemed to be such a cause of stress. Right. That I was like a little, like a little grown up. And I was like, I'm going to ease your tension. Yeah. And went to a public high school. Yeah. I also wanted to. That worked out. So when I got there, I knew like probably, I knew like two songs on the guitar, but I didn't really play the guitar. Do you remember? Uh, it, I, I satellite probably it would no because it was before that it was but it was before dave matthews dave matthews kind of happened with like right when i went to college yeah me too so in high uh well yeah i remember the first song i learned was house of the rising sun uh-huh. my dad taught it to me which i always say is the magic song for songwriters because it's got like most of the first position chords in it uh-huh so like once you learn it you can kind of oh it's like write G, C, a minor e minor d yeah That's and f position. and yeah. f well f is just c one up i'm trying to impress you uh-huh it's just and, one up but it's so like <laughs> I, I honestly wasn't trying to impress you i was trying to make a joke about how f doesn't deserve to be yeah. its own chord because it's just the same well it, it is like that it, it's the, it's the gateway chord in that song because like technically you should play it as a bar chord in that oh. position well that but i learned better. like a shortcut to do it you know where you just either skip out on the low e string or cover it with your, with your thumb, thumb which is kind of still how i play an f chord depends on a the lot day, of the time now I'm trying to. <laughs> if the neck is thin enough, you can get around with that thumb. But the the bar chord sounds better because you get the the low the low end. Yeah, but there's you there's fewer like um, embellishment potential things like you know hammer on and stuff within the chord. Yeah. So in any case, I learned that song, and then I think I, I could play Blackbird. Singing in the dead of the night. Exactly. That's hard. Did you do that? That's actually blah, easy. Blah. 
It's easy that part? Song because you only it's two fingers at a time, sometimes three. Oh. And that's the most. Wow, Paul. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank you, Paul. I did it I for know. you. Yeah. I won't give you an easy song. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so I wish I had some impressions. I have no impressions. I think you can I'm do that. So one. Jealous. Hey, yeah. do it. It's not Can't good. Can't do it. You're not even no, 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 I'm not going to try. Okay. I already know enough to know. You and the I shower. Don't, I don't have Just it. Rehearsing. Uh-huh. These aren't working yeah. for me yeah. alone. Not an impression guy. Those are two good songs. And yeah. your dad played music then? Uh, kind of. He like he knew he knows how to play the guitar. Uh-huh. So he taught me those songs. And he managed to not make it uncool in your house? Like it wasn't well, dad with his guitar? No, it kind of was, but I don't know. I mean, playing guitar... <laughs> I didn't think he was uncool, first of all. And second of all, like, music, like playing like guitar, songs like that on the guitar is always cool. You just, you know, you do it in front of three people ever, and you get the sense that it's cool. Yeah, that's true. But when I got to school up in Berkeley, I, like, gravitated toward the people that also kind of knew how to play music. Uh-huh. And we started playing music together, uh, like all the time. There was like a guy that had a drum kit at his house, and we would go over there after class and um, just just play music for hours and hours and hours every day. It just happened organically. Yeah, and it would, there'd be like twelve people that were kind of into doing this, and we're all friends. Were you playing songs or just jams? Mm, I don't two chord jams. Two chord jams. Yeah. That's, That's a the, great record the label name. Yeah. name. <laughs> it, it was like two chord jams. Almost nobody really knew how to play their instruments. And we were all just kind of messing around on all of the instruments. Mm. And, you know, you could, I could sit at the drums for an hour mm. and, and play and just experiment. And everybody kind of sucked. I mean, not kind of, like actually. But, but then, they all sucked the same. There yes. wasn't like one great There was just, one or two people that could, like our ba- the bass player that would play with us mostly like actually knew how to play, like was a bit real bass player. And so it... Well, that's the, helpful. It probably elevated everybody else. Yeah. Because it kept you on rhythm. Right. And then over the course of like a year, um, it got whittled down to like five of us who were like maybe getting a little bit better at our instruments, but I just wanting to have like more structure about it. And we like made a band. Really? Yeah. And then that was just going to go until the, like there was one year left in college at that point. And so we like played, you know, two house parties and at the local bar twice. And that was like senior year. So senior year of college, I was like, you know, like had a band, but it was not a thing that anybody's taking seriously. It was mostly cover songs and then at the end of Were that... Were you writing any original? I started writing original songs. How did you figure out who was going to be who? Doesn't every... Like, the personalities the dictated? Yeah. Because I remember... I wasn't the singer. In the beginning, for a minute, I was the drummer. And then um, when I started writing songs, that's when they were like, all right, well, you have to sing the songs that you're writing. Uh-huh. Um, so then I became the singer, like, toward the very end. Did you, like, unseat someone? No, not really. We all this band trade, sounds we very all, lax. <laughs> it was, it was very lax. You're just floating around. It's like a glorified practice group. It was barely glorified. <laughs> I don't recall saying glorified. Yeah, it, it yeah. was a practice. It group. was a practice. But well, we got, we called? had friends, so we were called the Electric Cycle. 
Sounds like a robot getting its menses. Yeah. <laughs> that is the funniest joke anyone's ever made about it. I think that's the first time I've ever told the band name to a comedian, so it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, if you tell that to five of, five yeah. of us, four of us are going to make that joke. <laughs> that's the most obvious one. I think so. Yeah. I would, I would put like, myself... You just don't hang out with funny people. <laughs> no, you, you certainly do, and you're very funny yourself. But I, but I don't I don't I don't uh, tell you any were, I don't tell anyone that band name. Yeah, that's true. But uh, you should see what happens. But so at the end of that, everybody went was going their separate ways, and I applied to graduate school, and that's what I was going to do. And uh, and then they my friends in the band like sat me down and were like, "You we don't we think that your songs are good, and that you should try and be like a singer songwriter." Like obviously this isn't a real like you know the band's not going to be a thing we're not going to do it but we like your songs and you should do it really yeah that's so great yeah they were they were wrong at the time <laughs> but, but that, that means they were right later i i guess i guess it, i guess they became right but i i you know they were they were some serious talent scouts because i was many years away from writing anything that i ever respected of my own right what were your early songs like I think there's something so vulnerable about those early songs. Oh, God, so vulnerable. <laughs> that is the most generous word you could use. Because <laughs> you're trying and you're yeah. obvious and you're ripping your influences off. Well, it's like I'm just, I'm just out of my first relationship that I've ever had, so I'm totally naive about that. And right. like going through a, my, you know, a, first, a first breakup yeah. at 21. Yeah. Um, because the girlfriend that I met in the beginning of college, we were together for you know two years, and then so a lot of songs were about that. Yeah, and then I wrote a lot of Elliot Smith ripoffs. Oh, did you during my divorce? Yeah, they were really bad. Do, uh, do you write songs? You, well, I do you did, still yeah. write? I, you I, used to write songs. We, I, I don't. I haven't written a song. I, I write silly songs, right? For fun, if you want to spark up a J. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have you'll have to kick me away from the piano. It's annoying. I like, definitely I, want to hear that. I'm do. I actually think it's poor Valerie. Funny like comedy songs. Yeah, they're sixty percent amazing, and then forty percent of the time it's like, please stop. But they're they're trying to be funny songs. They're funny like jokes. Song. They're funny jokes. Yeah, songs. yeah, yeah. And I, I'm telling you, when they hit. Yeah, it's like you almost throw up laughing. Not yeah. not because of they're so clever. There's just something so, yeah. especially when you're still there's something loved. so out of your own way. Yeah, that's just like you just hit the right thing in the right rhythm, or you mess up in yeah. a way that is just right. perfect. I music like musical comedy is is one of the greatest things in the world. It's, for it's me. a it's a very funny uh, when it's done well. I suppose it's yeah. so, it's so so good. We just spent the whole weekend doing it. We, uh, Kenneth and I, uh, don't mention Kenneth. Okay. You can, your manager told me he's really working to get you established as your own guy for the upcoming break. Right. So in my old band, in my old band, the milk carton kids, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you rolled with that immediately. (laughs) 
We just uh, we 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 had a we had a like, an awards show hosting gig uh, two days two days ago. We just no did way it. was it yeah. awesome? The Americana Music Awards at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been like, to Ryman. That's a historic yeah. venue. It's the, it's the mother church of country music. It is a music. church. It's a yeah. church. It, it looks like a church. church, or it was a church. It's a church for music. It used to be a church for Jesus. It, it was a church yeah. for Jesus. And there's bad seats. There's a couple seats where you like can't see. Right, and it's all pews, hard wooden pews. Yeah, which is good. Everybody's attentive. Yeah, nobody falls asleep. And rock and roll, statistically, more interesting than the Bible. And Wayne Fetterman came out with us. Wayne Fetterman was with me when I was at the Ryman. Well, he was with us when we were at the Ryman. Did he go, hey, uh, Pete Holmes was here with me last time I was here? (laughs) He didn't mention it. That's weird. Yeah. I'm going to text him. I asked him about it, too. (laughs) (laughs) So he did not just mention it. He denied it. He, He didn't. He he kind of ignored the question. I would say <laughs> that son of a bitch uh, on the same season no, of yeah, crashing he, as you. Yeah, same same episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so he we hired him to come and you know help us write the thing. No way. On the suggestion of of uh, Josh Church and Judah and you know yeah all of them. I I know he works with Jed a lot, so that yeah. makes sense. And he was amazing. For us, because you know, we never really we we like try and be funny on stage in the in the folk music kind of way of you know telling stories and yeah, setting up songs I, and I stuff. Think but you're it's, selling yourself a little short. I, I I think there's that. I've been to folk music shows, and then what you do? Uh, we try. I try and do more than that. It's true, yeah. but like we don't sit down ever and write material. Nor should you. I actually think what you did, just jumping right to the mm-hmm. summation of you, mm-hmm. is you sort of jumped ahead to like the master skills. Like you might be missing some fundamentals, and mm. I'm not saying fundamental mm. meaning you need them. You don't, but the fundamentals of like jokey jokes and right. sort of grinding out the basic structures. But you jump to the much more important and much more difficult to learn quality of like listening very intently to the audience, huh. taking your time. The more I do it, the more I realize like being present and convincing the audience that you're present right. is so important. Right. And when you do it, like it's so clear, like you had Val and I dying at Largo because you played the wrong song, you played the wrong chords, the right. wrong song. Oh, and you kept interrupting Kenneth. Right. And it like seemed to actually be annoying him. Uh, we we uh-huh. couldn't tell if it was a bit or not. But like you kept telling jokes during what seemed to be like a breakup song, like a very sad yeah. song. And we were dying. It was like um, being stoned at the piano. It was like this guy, and that's one of the masterclass things of comedy is knowing how to do inappropriate appropriately. Right. Meaning I'm going to keep hitting this off note on purpose, the off note being the right. jokes yeah, you're yeah, making. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to do them in a way that the tension of like, is he going to keep doing this? Yeah. Oh, he's going to keep doing it. And he certainly is done now. Oh, he's going to keep doing it. Yeah. And then it almost stops being funny. And then it's so funny again. Yeah. Well, so I that's mean, the not, fact that's that you find that, that fact that you find that funny means so much to me. I don't, okay. actually, it really does. And also what you like, the thing that you said about like, um, so the ba- like the basic stuff that you're talking about, that I think is what happens when we play songs. Like the songs, I think I think now the songs that I've, are your now fundamentals. That I, well, yeah, which is why I don't know the fundamentals of comedy. Like I yeah. don't know how to, and any you know, because the way we do our show, then people come up to you and go, "You should do stand up," and it's like I know that I can't. I know that like I know that I don't have that right now because. 
everything that I would that a comedian does to establish who they are on stage to like That's create a, their, yeah to establish yeah. their perspective and let the audience know who they are especially in a situation where they don't already know who you are yeah all of that is done for us with just the rehearsed I'm glad that you, musical I'm so performances glad. that we're giving. And like everything that we ever do that's funny is based off of the things that are built up by that in the that's first right. place. That's right. And that's, for the first 10 years of stand-up, 80% of your energy is how can I quickly and efficiently yeah. explain who I am That seems like these the people. impossible, like the hardest thing in the world. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Occasionally I have to do a show... Um, not that I'm super famous, but most of the shows I do are billed as me and people come right. just like you with yeah, the yeah. music. Um, but occasionally I'll be in a situation where I'm like, oh, these people don't care who I am. I'm opening for somebody or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they haven't seen what I do and that's fine. But I'm like, oh shit. And I have to like have to establish yourself. I have to go back to all these old jokes that I don't really want to do anymore. Where yeah. I'm like, I know this and that. Yeah. I know this is what I look like. And I seem like this. But yeah. Yeah, and totally. We do is, we do that too when we still have opening gigs. Right. Like if we went, we went open for John Prine three shows this this John uh, Bryan John Prine John Bryan yeah Prine. You're, you're saying it wrong, but yeah. <laughs> From Eternal Sunshine, he does all the movies and yeah. No, John open. John Prine. Oh, John Prine. John Prine. John Prine. Yeah, one of the greatest, maybe the greatest debut album ever. John Prine. John it's, Prine. He's new. Self-titled. What is it new? No, so oh, you. I'm sorry. So, okay, you don't know John Prine. John Prine. <laughs> I can't tell if you're fucking. That with one was me. a joke, but you answered Jesus. it, and it seems so funny to me <laughs> that you answered it. I don't know who John Prine is, but when you said he has a great debut album, I'm like, oh, oh he just broke. Yeah, no, in like 1971, he did. Oh, okay, uh, he's one of the great, up and great, coming. legendary <laughs> songwriters. Uh, what's his country essentially but yeah. like so, but, but way more than that um, and he's and he's active as can be currently he just put out a new album this year which is like you know uh, one of my favorites of the whole year mm. full stop you know anyway we opened three shows for him it's like you know our hero one of our heroes mm. um, and we got out on stage and we're in this community enough that he's in that I thought that people would know who we were uh-huh. a little bit. Sure. But it realized, we realized very quickly, like just upon being introduced and coming out onto the stage and doing our first song, that for the most part, like none of the 4,000 people in the theater had any idea who we were. Wow. And so uh, we had to go back to like the things we did in the very beginning. Like, yeah. We're saying our band name after the first song. We're called the Milk Carton Kids. You know, I do sometimes I do this like establishing joke because we're a duo. You know, we play as a duo. It's like this is our whole band. You know, this is not the acoustic version. <laughs> you know, you're not witnessing anything like that's, special and stripped down here. Is. Right, you, but I, well, we don't do, we don't have to do jokes. that when you're doing like yes. your own headline show and they already know all that stuff. You but can this go is why into. Madonna thinks she can do stand-up comedy. And I admire anybody that tries it, but uh-huh. I don't know if you saw her. Do I don't. She, I didn't know she that didn't she was doing it. Because what I appreciated in what you're saying is like, it's like elves and dwarves having dinner. And it's like, finally, you're showing respect to the dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it is nice to, to recognize that you 
are benefiting from the from the stage oh, yeah. setting of they know who you are totally. because then you can violate or go in line with what yeah. they're expecting yeah. and that's a lot of what comedy well is. the other thing that the musician has a huge advantage in in trying to make an audience laugh is that they don't uh, they're not expecting to be made to laugh they don't sit down that's right. like they do at a comedy club or a theater and say all right what do you got that's right make me laugh that's right and then the other, the the other huge advantage is if we try something and it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Start a song. Yeah. Play another song. That's what they're there for, right. anyway. Right. Like you don't have to save yourself with the same medium that you're currently fucking I up. I think that's sort. That's so funny. I think that's sort of why a lot of comedians hate musical acts. Is because right. they have the it's a safety net. Oh yeah, it's you a huge crutch out. and safety net. You can also. It opens up a whole different vocabulary of how you're funny because right. you can bang out something really loud after a bad joke, you know right. what I mean, or, or something really right. quiet after a good joke. And, and there are people that do this wonderfully. Nick Thune comes to mind. He's sort of, yeah, you're sort of, you don't remind me of Nick, but you could do a Nick Thune sort of thing. Right. Where you're playing, but you never really sing. You're just sort right. of the guy who never does his folk act. Right, right. <laughs> that should I, be his I, next I album. Try, the I, guy who never <laughs> does his folk act. Yeah. I just watched his, like, hour, half hour, whatever it was. It's it's really funny. And it reminds me of somebody that I saw 10 years ago who I have no idea who it was still. But it was, we had a guy, before I, it was for, we were the Milk Carton Kids, but I just had, like, a solo gig at the Mint. And another person playing was a comedian. And he, but he presented, like, a musical act. You know, he sat on a stool with his guitar. (laughs) And the whole, it was probably five minutes or ten and the whole must have been five. The whole thing was song setups. I, yeah. I don't remember any of it. It was like here's a song about such and such and such and such. And then like as he was like picking through it, you know, he'd be introducing the song and it would end on a punchline, and then he would never play the song. Yeah, the whole thing was just that. See, that's kind of it was really funny. Yeah, I, I, it is funny, and I think that's what's tricky is like I've seen a lot of things like that. Yeah. I'm not saying. Oh, anybody's yeah. stole it or, or it's derivative or anything. Yeah. I'm just saying if you're funny and you have a guitar, there's 35 things you can do. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's this fine. also could have been Nick Thune. It was 12 years ago. I have no yeah. idea. But that's one of the tensions of that's built into music is when are they going to start the song? Right. And that's one of the tensions that doesn't exist when you don't have a guitar. Right. Because a comedian is just out there and he's just doing what right. he's doing. But you're benefiting i'm not saying this is any way easier it's a hundred percent easier it could be considered easier yeah that's what but I'm it's saying. the tension of like when is he going to start yeah totally. so it's built in like he's not supposed right. to be doing this so right away you're sort of it's that's true the we benign do. violation yeah of, i'm not playing music i'm talking to right. you and the false start is 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 usually funny too you know because of that tension that you're talking about if you like stop you mean yeah or if you mess up yeah messing as long up as you great. recover we love messing up but so when we, we did three days ago, we were, did the Nashville hosting uh, award show hosting gig and the whole, I was stressing for weeks about like what was going to be like, what are we going to do for like an opening, you know, yeah. monologue, whatever. And then I realized that it just had to be a musical number. Like yeah. we had to write a song Yeah, and we had to write a song that like, I think, I don't know if we get asked to do it again, I don't know what we're going to do because the... I think the uh, like the thing was for me was like what is going to be the one thing that's kind of on everybody's mind 
Yeah. Like what does everybody in that room have in common about like the main perception of that Americana music community and the artists performing and the show and, and everything and, you know, and, and write like a funny song about that. Uh-huh. And so we did that and what it, was, was it went over so well. I was like so relieved. What was your interpretation the, of whatever? Well, the thing that no, the, it, the thing is <laughs> nobody knows what Americana is. Mm-hmm. You can't answer the question and every year everybody's you can't do an interview around the americana music festival without the interviewer saying so what you know americana it's blues it's country it's <laughs> rock and roll it's zydeco tejano jazz what, what you know it's it's a big tent what you what is what is americana to you yeah and you can't you can't it's, there's no answer you know it's just not a well-defined thing ultimately it's a trade group yeah. The Americana Music, Music Association that has fought for like 18 years to for recognition for like a some somewhat under the radar versions of blues country. You know, it's country that's not pop mainstream bro country. It's it's rock and roll that's not like you know on top 40 radio. Yeah, it's all these things that are a little bit under the radar. Right. Um, but 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 that I think is really good. And it's the word America. And nah. Americana. Yeah, it's like these, you know, residual artifacts of American culture. Or I something. do picture like an antique Coke bottle collection. Yeah. That's what I think. Right. Of Objects Americana. on the shelf at an antique store. Yeah. Like Americana. Americana. Yeah. And so this music is in some way that. But so the song is called What Even Is Americana? Oh, that's and it's just sort of playing on all of the things that people think are Americana. Well, you've touched on one of the main tensions of being a comic is like, what do, what do I do next time? Yeah, you know what I mean. Right. Even after you like put out your first, this is or or, or you navigate your first situation. I think of like Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes. It's like mm. the first time you're there, you can do the "What am I doing here?" Right. Like I'm not the right person. Yeah. But then the we definitely third did some time, self-deprecation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the to. third time you're there, you're like, right. isn't it daft that they had me here again? It's not as fun. It's, yeah. I mean, you did a, I'm not critiquing. I'm just saying that first time out. Yeah. It kind of goes back to the tension that's in, inerrant in not starting a song. Like, comedy thrives in something tense. So you right. guys were like, we don't know what Americana is. Yeah. It sounds like you had a dash of, we don't even know what we're doing here. Yeah. That's tension. Yeah. And then we can make jokes about yeah. that tension. That's why, like, Eminem's new record is so great, I think, because he's mad about all these people that made fun of him. You know what I mean? Like, it's good to have something to fight against. If right. there's tension or awkwardness... Or, or that's disruption. one thing that's missing in like folk music is, is beef. Yeah, <laughs> beef. Exactly. Well, you should kill some diss beef. tracks. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> just like start some real shit. Yeah, <laughs> that would be funny. It would be funny, but like that's a like, good publicity like stunt. If you did like a beautiful duet, shitting on like who would you shit on? Who's who? When milk carton kids don't get the gig, who got it? Uh, oh, there's a lot of them. The problem is like there are friends. Yeah, I know. And everybody's really nice. Yeah, but that's what makes it funnier. Yeah. I picture you guys melting skillets, butter skillets. <laughs> You're flipping hotcakes. Right. You don't even call them flapjacks. And yeah. somebody brought their own local honey and stuff. Like, that's what yeah. I'm picturing. There's so a lot if of you're like, honey. I'm going to kill you. I, ben Folds did that sort of stuff. Like, he'd do, like, sort of gangster rap. Right. Piano things. Covers, though. They're covers. Yeah. But, I mean, like, it would be super funny <laughs> if you yeah. threatened your, yeah. your nemesis. Yeah. But you're doing more funny things. I mean, you're super funny. And you're on Crashing. And you're super funny on Crashing. So, uh, thank you. You're welcome. I don't know that for a fact yet. 
I know you've seen it. I, I have seen it. I haven't yeah, seen anything. Wonderful. That was the being on being thrown into that situation was the most like fish out of water. I'm going to use two very contradictory <laughs> metaphor: fish out of water being thrown into the deep end. Yes, <laughs> that's great. That I've ever been in because. Uh, for, like so, the other thing that I do it is took me out of the water and yeah, threw me in the yeah. deep end. It's fucking fantastic. Um, I don't know so, if this is annoying, but I'm like, that's a lyric, man. Yeah, it's, that it's, is annoying. It's, 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 ah! <laughs> no, not yeah. Not when I'll I did it, but in I general, I won't apologize. Uh, not when you did it, but in general, yeah. I like that you took my phrasing of what I wanted you to say. That was kind of yeah. you, but it was that was exactly right. Because but people like do when, it all the time. I don't mind when people say that's a bit. You don't? No, often they're right. That's a different approach, I suppose. Usually wow. we're laughing and they're like, you should do that on stage. And it's just a compliment. I'm saying you said something There's a great that, That's a great moment in Crashing, though, that uh, in season two, I think, where um, probably you're talking to Allie. And yeah, and she, she says, says you that's that. funny, you should do that. And you're like, really? That's stage funny? Yeah, stage funny. Yeah. That's a stage funny. That was very enlightening to me. That's and a to, like, big the process part of... of well, con- I've said this a million times, but John Mulaney is the one who called me fun dad, and that became like a... Talk about the bits that like made uh, you... Helped like you explain dad. who you are. You yeah. know, I'm like a fun dad, yeah. and everyone would laugh. Yeah. Mulaney said that to me, uh-huh. and Josh Lieb said, you're like a youth pastor, uh-huh. and these are all these things that I was like, oh, this is how people see me. Right. But not just that. I mean, Jamie Lee, when we dated in, in real life briefly... Uh, we've been friends for a decade. I always like to point out we've had this lovely friendship way longer yeah. than we dated. But we did date briefly, and uh, she and I were walking, and I, I was just talking about how it sucks to be a kid and how much I love being able to walk around and like buy a piece of pizza and right. get in a cab. And if you're a kid and you get in a cab, then get the fuck out of my cab. Yeah. Get the fuck out of my store. Right. You have no power. No freedom. You, you get rained on. You just get rained on. <laughs> like I, I buy a raincoat. Like They can't do shit. Yeah. And she was laughing so hard. She's a great laugher. I get the same thing, obviously, with Valerie. She, they're both great laughers, yeah. and they'll both give me that gift of, like, you should do that. And so often... The best bets are the ones that people, or someone will remember. They'll go like, "Do you still do that right. thing about pizza boxes?" And you're like, "What?" And you're like, "Oh shit!" So yeah. I meant it honestly when I was like, "Is it annoying?" Because I, I have I have one good musician friend, and I'm always he's always saying things that I'm like, "That's a lyric," but right. I don't want to say it. So now I know I shouldn't. Well, I don't know if everyone's the same about that, but I am. So like, songwriting for me is such a personal, like emotionally deep thing and maybe it's I'm taking it entirely too seriously and I actually don't write that many songs I'm not a particularly prolific writer um, and I've sometimes thought about like trying to just write songs about things that don't seem you know like mortally important yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great I'm not even going to stop myself <laughs> mortally important is a great album title yeah. I'm not saying for you yeah. for somebody mortally cold that's so my good. instinct to write a song only really comes in those moments when I'm thinking of things that are like really important to me and, and no, some I people had, write great songs about things that are not like you know, are inherently just more trivial than that. Not that they're trivial things, because you can make something deep about anything. But I understand. You know, you have like you're doing a puppet show, like a shadow puppet show in your bedroom under the covers. You know what I mean? 
And you don't want someone ducking in and going, you should say that thing about right. deep end fish out right. of water. Like, it's not that that couldn't be a lyric. Yeah. But it's just, it's, I feel the same way about inspiration. And there's a certain alchemy to it. And there's a certain conjuring feeling to it. Yeah. And you don't want someone else's voice, even if it's their voice saying what you said makes sense. You don't want to fuck with uh, the mojo. Right. Is that about right? I think so. I, yeah. I don't, but I, I, like, I like riffing about things, what are, what's funny. I don't really like r- it's different. riffing about like because song lyrics. And, you know, it's just, it goes for like co-writing is a very, obviously a very common thing. And I, I, I hate it. I hate it too. I hate it. I don't need it at all. I couldn't stand it. I completely yeah. understand. Me and Kumail tried to write jokes together once. Oh, really? And you can't, you can't do it. Mm. The thrill, I wonder what it's like for you. I like riffing because humor is, my instrument is other people. So right. it's like having, like borrowing someone right. else's guitar. And you're like, oh, wow. that kind of got a laugh from you and that's helpful. But like, you want to do it on your own. And the thrill is figuring out how to take something that was in you and bringing it out. Yeah. It's not as fun. Fun Dad and, and Youth Pastor was nice to do someone else's idea, but it felt so right to me. I was like, yeah, I, I'd rather do it alone and then present it and then get the thrill. Yeah, I was like, to me, there's a the big difference between like the art of songwriting and the craft of songwriting. What do you mean? Like. The art of it is that conjuring thing that you're talking about to me. And I, I don't know. This is sometimes the way I think about it. I don't know if, if it's true. But, like, the, you know, the, the, this part of it that's self-expression, where you're taking something that you think about or feel and are trying to put it in a way that's going to be relatable to someone else mm-hmm. so that you can just get this thing that's in you out or you can reach out for some sort of connection that we're all desperate for, whatever the whatever yeah. that impulse is. Yeah. To me, that's like that's that's the artistry of it. Then there's the that's all of art. Having a feeling that's secret in you and implanting right. it on demand in someone right. else. Whatever the medium is, yeah. that's that's yeah. like the artistic impulse. Right. We talk about that a lot. It's like the feeling is the point. You don't have to right. be like, what does this mean? Right. Just, just feel something. It's okay. Right. You're not right or wrong. Just see what you feel. But then how to turn that into a song requires some craftsmanship. The same way that, that whatever instinct you have for something that's funny, the way that that becomes a well-crafted joke is because you're a good craftsman. Right. It's like building a chair. You know, you, it's like Out designing of- a chair versus yeah. building a chair. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know exactly. What and when I'm co- when you co-write, when you write with someone, when I write with someone else, I end up feeling like I'm helping to build a chair that I didn't necessarily design. Which is, it's not yeah. that it's not valuable. I mean, craftsmanship is beautiful and important too, but it's different from saying like, what do I want this chair to be? Yeah. You know, when there is no chair. One is a trance place. We always mm-hmm. say flying a kite into a into a black hole. <laughs> right. and then you pull it back and uh-huh. it has like a goblin stuck on it right. and you're like oh okay that's not possible though uh, yeah. I, <laughs> no I think I understand <laughs> what black holes are mm-hmm. but um and then I, I think it's really interesting like when I write um, like I'm working on my book right now and you, you do this like sort of free write like I make space like you hit return a bunch of times and you're sort of like mm-hmm. putting all the pieces anything you think sort of goes mm-hmm. in the document you're like mm-hmm. well this happened and this happened there's this and there's this kind of joke and then there's this sort of mosaic and you're like, oh, those are all the parts. And then you really do feel like a carpenter and right. you start going like, 
Well, I'm saying it here, and I'm saying it in the punchline, so I'll change this it to this. Yes. So I can save the sound it for the end, and it's very not trance-like. It's much more like Nick Offerman yeah. like driving a screw into a, into yeah. a bench. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting mm. that he is a craftsman, actually a craftsman. Yeah. In addition to being a, a writer and humorist. I'd love to have him on. I wonder what he thinks about... Because I feel... And I'd love to hear what you think about it, like when you write a song, uh, and I'm almost done. I feel the same satisfaction as if I made something tangible. If I write a couple pages mm-hmm. or a couple jokes, mm-hmm. it might as well be like the metaphor would yeah. be that I am an alchemist and right. I made a bag of gold. It's right. that real to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I wish I, I envy people that made something that you can touch. I'm like, fuck that. Mm-hmm, right. This, I, I, I can touch it. I can feel it. So I, I carry it around with me, the satisfaction that I did it. Now, so that's, intru- that's I feel exactly the same way about writing uh, a song. And then one thing I've noticed in, in like recent years, you know, in the beginning, there was this really strong desire to like get people to get to a place where I would have people that would listen. You know, when you're starting out, you have no audience and you're like writing these songs and you obviously think they're good. And then you just really want that, like, I don't know, affirmation, I yeah. guess, of like some people to listen and like them. And validation. Yeah. They want, yeah. And now I, I really find if I write a song, like I just know if it's good or not. And mm-hmm. I don't really, you've been doing I don't it. really need to play it for people. How old are you? 36. See, I'm 39, and I think you're early. I think you're whatever, based on me, because I'm just sort of getting to that place. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, I really want to see comedians have that thing. Will it play in Peoria? No one really says it anymore. But Peoria just being like a regular place. Uh-huh. It's also where Richard Pryor is from. But I, I've yeah, played Peoria. A lot of my jokes don't play in Peoria. <laughs> um, but like this time around, doing a new album this year, new special... I was like, I'm not as concerned, nor do I think most comedians working now as concerned with, is this nationally appealing? Uh, Like, I'm not saying you don't want thousands of people in every state to love it, but you don't want everybody in every state to love it. Being more niche is actually valuable. Like you think of a special like Nanette, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's got really good jokes and stuff in it. It, So it's got a good level of broadness to it i'm not saying it's inaccessible right. but you actually want to be like it's more it makes more sense to be eugene merman these days right. than it does to be like the broadest like uh-huh. even i my mom likes them I'm, yeah. like, I'm like we all go together yeah there's some acts like that <laughs> but i i think what i'm saying what i'm hearing you say is at a certain point you're like this makes sense to me yeah and it, 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 it is already a bag of gold. I yeah. don't even need people to listen to it. Yeah, to me, it kind of feels like making a table and then keeping it in your own dining room. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, I, I say it on stage a lot. I go, if I was in the audience, I'd be losing my mind. Yeah. And that's every time I say it, I mean it. Yeah. Because I found the joke that is my sense of humor. Right. And then you're sort of like, I get it if you don't love it. Like, how could I possibly make something that everyone would love? Well, there's two things that come to mind about that. One is comedy is so much more risky than music and so much more dependent on the audience than music because no matter what the audience thinks of your song, they know to clap at the end. Yeah, that's true. 100% of the time. And you get to 
pretty quickly judge the enthusiasm with which they're applauding and you yeah. know if like they loved a song or if it and, was just okay but like yeah but you can't oh, that's make an audience laugh if the joke didn't work there's they, also they don't you can't they don't fake laugh do they they don't fake laughs sometimes they do you can tell there's different laughs there's different there's laughs. courtesy okay, but, laughs I but i've been in i've been in They'll enough i've off. been in enough audiences where there was like crickets yeah nothing which doesn't happen after a song. It doesn't There's a matter. lot of stuff. Go- I, I had a, this conversation. There's a lot of vocabulary in music as well that I wonder if you have to fight against. Like, for example, mm-hmm. let's say we're writing a song and the last line is like, and that was the last summer I spent in those woods. Right. right? There's, a, there's a, a move. Someone thought of it at some point, And now it's just what we call music. You let that chord play out. Right. And then again you go... The last summer uh-huh. I spent yeah. in Tagging those. It. Exactly. It's yeah. ta- it's, I didn't even know it was that. Yeah. But we now know that like that's what a song that's, sounds like when it's done. Right. It's like classical music all, yeah. all ends with like, well, that's how you end the song. Yeah, you know it's over. It's not cheating. And then there's it's those just like parodies of it where the song, they just keep playing the ending. They keep playing different ending motifs over and over. They do that? Yeah, I heard it on, sort of like on the radio. It's like it was like a comedy thing. It was like it was just a classical song ending for like three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it was like bump, bump, bum. <laughs> just one ending after the other, and it goes on for so it's like the length of a song. Yeah. It's just endings. But isn't that interesting? And it's hard. It, you keep laughing. It's like it's funny, and then it's not funny, and then it's funny again, yeah, and then it's not funny. And then you think, okay, now for sure it's over, and then it's again, yeah. it's not. It's a Joey Ryan bit. Yeah. It's like what you do. Yeah. It's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. I think even though as soon as you call it a tag, I go like, of course, in comedy we have all these laws. Yeah. That just sound like American 2018 humor. And people come and change them. I know Louis, obviously, is a jerk face. And... He, I watched him change the way people do comedy. Right. Be like, you get a fucking glass bottle and you fucking shove it up your ass, and everyone started kind of doing that like thing uh, where you don't know what you're going to say, right? Even though you do, pretending like you don't know what you're going to say. He yeah. might be riff. I'm not. Who cares? That's not the worst accusation that's been made about him. <laughs> he might be faking yeah. his riff. I think he's pretty well written. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, he's he, so he's performing, and then yeah. I watched all these, especially younger comedians, doing that right. thing in the same way that we were doing right. Seinfeld, in the same way Seinfeld was doing. You know who Clark. doesn't do that? Which actually took me. It took me until it took me a lot of tries to get into him, and I kept trying because he's so universally loved and respected. Mm. Mulaney. Oh, interesting. He's so deliberate. And never stutters yeah. or stops or appears to be searching yeah. or anything. That yeah. it was like a little bit disorienting oh, for we me. We talked about this. Remember, I was like, I asked you because you wear a suit on stage. Yeah, and I was sort of going, should I wear a suit right, on yeah. stage? And uh, it was actually Have you landed on somewhere on. I that? just I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, and you yeah. had a, you had something to do with that, All right? And we both love Mulaney. Yeah, and you sort of pointed out that you like, and I do too. Um, him in a suit. Again, with acknowledgement to the the wrongs that Louis has done. Right. So no endorsement here. I'm just saying, I 
related to a guy in a t-shirt more than a, than, than a guy in a suit. Yeah. Yeah, you were like some guys are Seinfeld, and I love right. Seinfeld, and right. I love Mulaney. Yeah, but I was like, That's right? Seinfeld's never like he wants you to know that every word he's saying is right. deliberate. He's showing you his knife collection. Yeah, <laughs> he's opening these like velvet cases. I just went and saw him last week in Vegas. <laughs> really? Yeah, like an homage? Well, what? Like you a, mean at the Mirage? Like a, no. Yeah, no, like a um, like a pilgrimage. I mean, oh wow, you know, to see the master. Who opened? Ryan Hamilton? No. Although I've become friendly with Ryan, and so I, I definitely asked him if he was going to open. Mario Joyner? That would have been exciting. No, I'm embarrassed to, to have forgotten his name. Mel really Carton funny. Kid? No. <laughs> it's no. a joke because they didn't know who you yeah. were when you opened for right. John Prine. Prine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're just naturally funny. You're funny. Like you just saying Prine, not trying to be funny. You just had great time and great delivery. Okay, but so now Maybe we're going to go back on another thing, which is I wasn't trying to be funny just there. I didn't think you were, and that's part of what made it funny. It's like I Henry know. Winkler. How hard did we laugh at Henry Winkler? And it was just because you've done the masterclass work of bringing who you are to the surface. And people are delighted by a lot of different things. Right. And one of them is just seeing someone be authentic. It makes us laugh. Right. That's why we love, like, you know... You have to all be so, all sorts of folks. Are you? Are you? When you do that, are you deliberate about it? Like, do you know that you're doing that? You're trying to do that because get out of my own way. Uh, like, no, like be authentically yourself. That's what I mean. I have to get out of my own way to do that. Yeah, that's why yeah. you like. Like I sabotage don't. Know, I don't try. I don't know that I'm doing that. I don't or try to do that. It, well, I'm not I, trying I, to do it right now. I'm talking right. about like on stage. Yeah, yeah, I know. But then you do it so often in life. It's like then it bleeds into the stage, right. and then it is thoughtless in the good way. Yeah. Um, oh, there was two things I was going to say, yeah. wasn't there? The first thing was, oh, you're talking about being broad versus having like a specific niche. or niche appeal. Yeah. So don't you think that I know that it's true in music? There is no. There are things that sell better than others. But there isn't, we don't have a culture, we don't have a centralized culture currently where like, um, like you can't, you couldn't have the Beatles again. Yeah. Like the, you know, the British invasion, you know, Beatlemania. You couldn't yeah. have a thing where the whole country gets swept up in something for better or worse. Which is why, if you notice, we still have the same cultural touchstones, Star Wars, Kind, right. of, kind of because Harry those Potter. Are the last things They'll that never, happened. The Beatles is still the reference yeah. for a sensation. Right. It's because not Rihanna. Because, uh, because it's know. fragmented now. Because there's so many different places right. to get art, to receive right. it, to consume it, and there's so many different. There, there's just so much more of it. There's so many fewer filters to what can be put out in the world, and so many different ways to receive it. That like, yeah, there's just even the biggest. Thing in the you know who's the biggest artist Beyonce or whatever it, yeah. like I mean I get that's the closest thing uh, uh, you know but it's still um it still feels different to me like there's still a ton of people who do, who just like don't even exist in her world at all right a lot of people I don't know if my mom knows who Beyonce is right but my mother's mother knew who the Beatles Definitely were the Beatles and she were. Would, didn't speak probably. English oh. <laughs> you know what I mean like she was pickling right. things that we don't pickle yeah and speaking in Lithuanian yeah. and she was like yeah. 
Blackbird singing yeah. in the middle of night. It's, like, it's, like, the, it's like the president. Like everybody yeah. knows there's only like the president is the only central national figure yeah. left in that way. And it used to be that through art or culture you could you could achieve that level of like, you know, focused attention. Yeah. And and uh, but so that's not that's not uh, true anymore. So maybe it makes sense that you're not worried about having a broad national appeal. Why do it? Yeah, even if you did, what but that wouldn't. It's good for. It can be good for art. What were you going to say? Sorry. It can be good to have. I think it can be healthy instead of letting the business side of things come into it. Which I think I think comedians should be funny. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I don't know what the music equivalent, music should be musical. I don't know what the equivalent is. So I'm not like, let's all just do whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, whatever you do is fine. Like, everybody gets a trophy sort of thing. But I do think there's something nice about removing... When I was starting out, you had to be able to kill everywhere. Right. And we used to look at guys, Eugene Merman, who I already mentioned, uh-huh. and you're like, well, Eugene, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I don't know do what that? are you going to do with that yeah. we were kind of like uh-huh. in our own brains uh-huh. sort of like his dad like that's fun right. but how are you going to make a buck or whatever and then the world shifted right under and with uh-huh. Eugene and now you can be Eugene right. and that's wonderful and Reggie and wants to be Reggie yeah. but there was a time when it was like yeah but you need some like ABC like the older right. guys used to say that to us yeah. it was like it's great that you have these cute jokes, but you need the fundamentals. I'll tell you. It's like we were the Globetrotters, and they were like, you yeah. need to shoot free throws. Right. And now the Globetrotters right. are in the NBA. Right. Which is great. <laughs> or, or just more people started going to Globetrotters games. That's right. And they got closer. The Carpenters started to score a little bit. <laughs> it's a close game. What are they? The Senators? I thought it was the Carpenters. It must be the Senators. Anyway, I'm such a dick. Why, that you corrected me? I don't, I don't even fun. know the right answer. I'm the guy I just that, know that that wasn't right. I, l- I think. I realized this recently. The generals. The generals. generals. Right. Washington it's been coming. Well, senators is actually better because you don't know what he likes senators. Washington. Yeah. Interesting. I, I've been putting this together lately. It depends on how it's done. But I sort of, I'm a person that likes to be told when I'm wrong. Like mm, when you said that word at the too. beginning, oh my God. I like that. And I like um, when people explain things to me and me advice. Too. Like I, I don't mind, if you go like, Pete, I noticed that you do this. Yeah. Like, like I just didn't have the kind of dad that was always giving me like right. buttloads of like unsolicited advice. And I think that might be what turned people oh, really? off. Like dad-splaining. Yeah. I didn't really have a dad-splaining dad. Uh-huh. So if you want to make me feel loved, be like, Pete, you mentioned the F chord. I don't know if you know you can put your thumb right. around. Especially when I was young. That's so funny that you attribute it to that because I'm the exact same way. I love being corrected when I'm wrong. Yeah. I love being explained to. Yeah. Like, the, the, when the whole concept of mansplaining came out. Yeah. Like, I know that I'm a man and everything. Yeah. But I was like, I don't care who explains stuff to me. Yeah. I love to be explained. So, now, I guess, obviously, the point is that you're explaining something to someone who obviously knows more than you about it or who is an expert in the thing. And you're like, I'm not even sure demeaning. about that. I, I haven't gotten a clear definition. I, nobody's woman explained what oh, mansplaining really? is to me. I can explain it to you. You can mansplain <laughs> it to me? Because, well, help, literally, help like, me. That, Bo Burns got a great uh, mansplain. Yeah, help me mansplain. Great song. 
Um, He's got some of the funniest comedy songs, funny songs. Oh, I know. Ever. Well, he's next level. He's next level. He's just next level. So good. But I remember explaining something to somebody, and I thought I was just doing what I... It's interesting how we pick up on things differently. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things when it comes about like being sensitive to other people's histories and the history of what it feels like to be a woman is something that I understand, that I don't understand. I understand that I don't understand. So where it can feel nice to me if somebody goes like, no, I heard this and this, this and this, I would never be like back off. But I understand that that can feel very bad. Yeah. And and somebody told me that that men often do it like... Where it's like, well, they open a can of tuna fish, sweetheart. You you push it in, like right. something that they obviously know right. is a con. I thought that was mansplaining. I've been accused of mansplaining when I was explaining <laughs> something that I thought was kind of difficult or, or unique that I knew it. Right. And I was like, ho, ho, you're mansplaining. I was like, I get confused yeah. by that because I love when people mansplain yeah. to me. <laughs> I know. I know. I thrive on mansplaining. I know. Or just let's take let's take because some people listening might be cringing at this. I like being explained. I like having people explain yeah. things to me respectfully and checking in with me whether or not do you already know this yeah. in the dialogue. No, it's true, and I get the whole point of it that is that is cringeworthy about any of these things me is too. that we don't okay. have. The history of being condescended and mansplained all the time, so that our radars aren't up. So if somebody explains something to us that they have no business explaining to us, we are in, are in the privileged position of being able to go, "That guy's an idiot," exactly. and walking away. That's right. And it's not like dominating your life and That's... your past and your your concept of how you fit into the world. Speaking of having people explain things to you, Val Val explains things to me all the time, and, it, and it's always you don't understand the history of the people that are saying this, right? Because you can be like, that doesn't make any sense, right? We're all because you're thinking we're all yeah. in an even playing field, right. and she's right. like, no, you need to consider this, this, and this, right. and I'm like, oh, so like right. dating a younger person or maybe just a more woke person. Oh, is she younger? Yeah, she's she's ten years younger than oh, okay. I am. So the, I benefit a lot from that because she grew up in a slightly different right. world with right. you know Snapchat. <laughs> she had Snapchat before Snapchat. I did. So. Yeah, no, but I I do. There is, I let's okay. So uh, I I still I still I still say I love being explained to and I love being corrected. Yeah, and there are people like that. There are definitely people that don't like being corrected. Yeah. Even when you're wrong, and there's nothing I love more than being correct, just on a factual thing. Yeah, and I, I, I always, I think it's. Be, I, I tell, I flatter myself that it's because I like to know things and to learn things and to like be right the next time. Yeah, to improve or whatever. I'm with you. I won't forget that they're called the generals. Right. I have Me enough too. adrenaline associated with yeah. that experience. Yeah, we were that both I now wrong. know it's called the generals. So next time I'm on stage and I'm riffing about the Globetrotters, I'll say the generals and I'll be uh, good for it. It'll be a better laugh than if I said the senators or the carpenters, which are both incorrect. So I I enjoy that. But, you know, I understand that some people aren't into it, but I also like advice. You know what? I need advice. What about criticism, constructive I need. I'll give you exactly what I'm thinking of. In high school, I'll never forget a kid told me, that I didn't have to bring all my books to class. Mm-hmm. He was like, you know, you don't have to just 
you know, read the right. kid next to you, or sometimes they have them in the class. Like you don't like. I was really right. hurting my back. Right. So I was such a nervous kid. And every breakup I've ever had, I had like a whole council, a whole congress of people helping me. Right. And giving me advice. Uh, so I'm in an advice seeker. Yeah. It is different when you ask because for it. it comes from that. See, that thing comes from a place of love. You know, the, that person like cared about you enough to like tell I mean. you they, to make he your life easier. He saw me suffering and was like, you know, you don't have to do that. Right. And I fucking love that. And I'll because take it so alter- far that I get mad if you knew that and you didn't tell me. Yeah. It's like, fuck you. And the worst is, which definitely happened a lot, was wait till you show up to class and say, look at this asshole carrying all his books to class. Exactly. And make fun of you for it in front of everybody. Although because That's I the have opposite. an older brother, I learned to interpret teasing into my advantage like oh, really? even if someone teases like i was actually just writing about this today that i used I, to not me. clip I my cell phone it. to my belt and christian finnegan went belt clip huh and i took it off <laughs> right oh you took that in the same spirit of so love he, and advice he wasn't as... being he wasn't like look at this fucking. yeah yeah he just went belt clip huh and i was like Thank you. Right. Like I didn't know people were thinking that. It was the first time I unveiled it. I walked into the... Lo- I remember where we were. I remember his face. And I was just yeah. like, thank you. It was the first... So you were like, I'm going to try something I new. Unveiled, I I remember... I, oh, it's so sad. The new phone We were came touring together, thing. and I, I had it in my bag, and I couldn't wait to put it on. Mm-hmm. And I put the skin... It was my trio. I put the skin on it and I put in the clip because I was proud of it. I clipped it on and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm the like... The trio is a sizable device. It is sizable. Yeah. And I was like, I think this is okay. Uh-huh. And I walk, I'm wearing cargo shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> like a dad. Like a contractor. Goes, and he was kind. But he... If he hadn't said anything to me, like later if someone made fun of me and he went, yeah, when I saw it... Right. I thought immediately. Yeah. I'd be like, well, why didn't you say right. something? <laughs> right. I need help. Yeah. So, did you have something? No. I'm wondering if we should talk more about musica, because you're a wonderful musician, although we were talking about crashing. Because yeah. what happened was, oh, yeah. I saw you Largo, thought you were super funny. I had to write a character for Allie, to be dating in season three Mm -hmm. and I wanted him to be somebody that we hadn't seen before. Somebody Mm -hmm. that Pete would actually like Mm -hmm. and uh, sort of understand, Mm -hmm. but someone that's very different from Pete. So I like that you wore suits. I like that you were funny, but in this way, that's not a comedian Mm -hmm. funny. And I mean that as a compliment, it's not a dig. So you're funny in your own way and you're very deadpan and I, so I put it, this is very rare that this works out. You put it in the script. You say, picture Joey Ryan from mm-hmm. the Milk Carton Kids. And, um, and then it worked. Yeah. It almost didn't. There were a couple moments <laughs> that I, we had to audition people still. So you didn't yeah. just get it. Oh, wow. There were auditions and we considered other people. Oh, okay. Amazing. But the whole time I secretly. So my experience was. Keep it to myself that I wanted you to do it. My experience was we did that show, The Living at Largo. Your show, yeah, and then uh, like some couple weeks later, whatever, it, it got an invitation through like our manager um, to come to the t- a table read for Crash, mm-hmm. and I was so I was, I was like, cool. What's a table read? <laughs> <laughs> you know, literally. I mean, I was like, what is a table read? Mm-hmm. And then there was some explanation in the email that like it was very. It was they were they were being very non committal mm. 
I assumed that How about you doing the show. Yeah, they didn't. No, indi- that's important. Yeah, it was indi- It was not. That was probably coming from me actually, because I've gotten bit in the butt. Yeah, I can't say this on the record enough. Yeah. I don't get to cast the show. Yeah. I, that's why I was like, it almost never works so out. So the description was... Same thing with Allie being played by oh, Jamie really? Lee. I was like... You wanted her I want this had to wait for, for it to happen. This is based on you. Yeah. It should be you. Yeah. But it was a whole thing. And yeah, one yeah. of the happiest days was getting to tell her that it was her. Yeah. And it was happy telling you. But it almost never works out. Yeah. Well, that's that's That's, that's why amazing the, the language was like, Joey... I'm not giving you the part. Just come do the well, table. Well, I didn't even get that far until the night before. The only thing I heard the, the first day was some, we invite friends and family to come down and hear like people read through the script and right. like give notes about it. So you thought you were going to be in the audience? I didn't. Yeah, I just didn't know. I was like, Jesus, they don't, I don't. I don't. I don't know what's going on. Like I'm just. So I like I I I'll uh, I'll admit to you that I hadn't seen the show. Sure. And I watched, I binged the whole show in two days. No way. And fucking love, I mean. You did? Yes. I truly, I, truly love it. As much as you, me thinking you're funny, a genuine talent, real yeah. unique funny voice, that still it means a lot to me. I do not go like, oh, cool. I'm like, oh, yeah. good. Thank God. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, I didn't know what I was being called in for. So yeah. I was definitely going to have to have seen the show. That's true for every actor, like Madeline, who played my uh-huh. girlfriend in the next season. I don't think she had seen the show. Nobody, you can't. There's too many fucking shows. How right. are you going to watch these shows? Yeah, there's so many shows too many that shows. I want to watch. So many shows. That anyway. Good shows we want to watch. Thankfully, Get to your later. show is so good. And now, like, anyway. So I watched, the, I watched the thing. And then the night before, they sent, the, they sent some scripts through. And they were like, we'd like Joey, if he's comfortable, to like, you know, read some of the characters, you know, some of the, you know, read multiple characters because not everyone, you know, you were going to read Leaf. All the, yeah, we wanted to read Leaf. There was like a waiter that had two lines. Like, yeah. I had like six characters. For people, to, I'm, maybe people can put it together with context clues, but a table read, you just sit at a table and you read the script right. out loud. So all the actors sit at a table facing a room of the writers and producers. And you read the scripts, yep. read through them. And somebody like, goes not like, all interior the actors, coffee shop. Right. Somebody does. And by that. the way, I learned all this that day yeah. when I got there. <laughs> I had never been to one or seen one or knew what it was. Yeah, fun. So, uh, but not all the actors are available on that day. So you have like substitutes or whatever right. sitting in. So and I was reading Leaf, which way. obviously I'm not reading for the part of Leaf. Right. That's George Nobody Basil. thinks you're going to get Leaf. Yeah. But... So then when George I... George got Leaf because I wanted George... Judd wanted George too, but you got to see if he can do it. Right. So you invite him to the table read. Right. And then he killed at the table read. Smart. And then you... It's almost like another mini audition. So I didn't know that, like, somebody was considering me for a part until I got the script the night before and saw the character description. It said it? It did it say picture no, Joey, right? it took out my name, but it was, like, a description of me. That's... <laughs> So funny. And I was like, oh. I wrote that. Deadpan, wears a suit. Yeah. (laughs) And you wrote, the way I remembered it was reluctantly likable. That's fun. But it actually said, uh, you can't help but like him. That's fun. Uh, But so then, but then I realized like what was going, that, you know, then I realized what was going on and I was like potentially being considered for a, a part. Fun. And then... We can tell for the people at home, even though I've already confessed to you, you gave me an acting note, which made me feel like I turned See? into someone that advice. wasn't an actor. Advice. Into maybe advice. somebody that could do a little <laughs> minimal bit of acting. I do enjoy, because people did this for me, yeah. someone going like, here's one tip 
Yeah. And the tip that I... It was so right. What was it? Well, everyone... So when you're a musician, especially you've been in L.A. a while, everyone thinks you can be an actor. And they go, you just go be yourself. Go play. Go. It's yourself. Just right. be yourself. Right. And that never made any sense to me. Because right. I'm like, I'm 10 different people throughout the day. Right. What are you, what are you talking... Which one? Yeah. You know? Morning, use, Joey. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and also, the character seems angry. And when I look angry, I don't look really angry. Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, I'm the same way. So you, what you said I didn't was mean stupid. But you you know. said, uh, "Do be yourself on stage. Do your stage character." Yeah, and that, like in the milk carton, because that's a thing that I know how to do. I know how to like turn it on. Right, because that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted you to. Do, there's a lot of characters I write. Chicken Wing that we write. Chicken Wing, George, your character, where a lot of the the humor is how slowly they do it. Right. It's like it's not funny Zach to is say. So funny. I know he's great. Zach Cherry. Zach Cherry plays Chicken Wing. Kevin Woods, he's Chicken Wing in the script because <laughs> he, he made a choice to always be eating chicken wings, which is so funny. <laughs> and then you did it perfectly, but a lot of it, like one of the lines was like, "You give her a cookie, and she says, is that oatmeal raisin?'" And you go, "That's a hundred percent choco chip." And that's only funny if you do it right. Like you're not doing it. Right. Like it's a non-joke. Yeah. Like there's a guy that dryly says right. that's 100% Chaco chip. <laughs> and it just made us laugh only if you did it the way uh-huh. you do it. And I, obviously every writer loves writing for a clear voice. And right. I, it was very easy to channel you. Yeah. Well, man, it was a lot of fun. And, and then, also you can imagine that as a musician who do, like, you know, tries to be funny between songs having having a comedian whom you admire invite you to be on their funny show with all the other comedians is yeah. like incredibly nerve-wracking and validating and like challenging all-encompassing like intense experience what was it, it was, like for you to shoot uh, it was insane, especially <laughs> well, because... Well, you were, yeah, on Judd's episode. On Judd's episode, especially because, well, the first day I showed up and they give you the... And now I'm, like, using the terminology, like, I didn't just learn it for five days. But, like, by the end of the week, I know that what they give you in the morning is called the sides. Yeah. Anyway, I don't understand why either. What? It's not collard greens. It's a little <laughs> script. <laughs> well, it's like the pages that you're doing that day, I guess. Yeah. And so I wasn't in any of them. I like I didn't have any lines. So, but nevertheless, I'm in like makeup and I'm getting my clothes on. It's eight in the morning, mm-hmm. and I'm like going to be there all day and I have no lines. And I'm reading through the thing, figuring out why I'm there. <laughs> and I see at one point, like, oh, because in the scene that's going into that scene, I was there, and somebody's like walking away from me at the start of the scene. They're actually filming, right? So I'm going to be there for like. To stand there from second, and that's it. Yeah. And then when we started shooting the scene, it was like, oh, well, Ted is standing there. Like, he wouldn't just not join the conversation. Right. So all of a sudden, like, the first thing that we did on the Monday With Judd was directly. you and Madeline, yeah, walking in, and Judd, and me and Jamie Lee are standing there together, and she turned, we both turned to you and have a whole conversation, and I had no lines. And I was just like, Am I supposed to say something? Just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever you think. 
I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, you know, I've never done this before, right? Are you keeping that to yourself? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, he knew that. Yeah. He knew that. Mm-hmm. We, but uh, so on the one hand, it's like an incredible vote of confidence, but also maybe he's just not paying that close of attention. Right. And um, so, I don't know. Did you talk in that team? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. At the end... Yeah, I mean, I have no idea what gets used because all the whole thing was so, uh, uh, the whole thing was so improvisational, right? That like by Which the I, by the end, every scene is ten minutes long, right? And really, it's only twenty seconds. So right. who knows what's actually used? But Which like, is driving our producers crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what's so great about having Jed direct is because everybody's sort of, you know, make way for Michael right. Jordan. It, it right. doesn't matter. Like he can kind of do whatever he wants. Sometimes we do have to, you know. Move it along. You can tell that people are like moving along. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's some people's jobs on the set, like the AD's job is like the liver for the stress of the whole production. Right. So everything's stressful, the TikTok, TikTok of it goes through the, the one stressed out person called the assistant director. Yeah. And if they cannot seem stressed, then they're really good at it. Yeah. But that's what's, that, that's the person uh, that's remind like, taking her too name long. now because I'm blanking. Well, I think Kit was, or Ellen. It was Ellen. Yeah, Ellen. Yeah, that like what I, the thing I said to her at the end of the thing at the end of the five days was like, I can't believe you just did the job that you did, and yeah. at the end of it, everyone in the room likes you still. It was incredible. Like she was so good at it. Very, at, very. Like, yeah, because you're the total whip cracker. Yeah. Uh, at every moment, and you have to like yell at a room of a hundred people constantly. Constantly, and then but but like she was just everybody loved her. Somebody says that AD is like their life expectancy is like forty five or something. It's like they, really? there's a lot of yeah. heart attacks, and they're just like it. It fosters like an unhealthy eating thing and a smoking yeah. thing. Like most of the ADs we had were ex smokers. Like they're all trying to get right. like healthier because they realize it's very stressful. Seems well, very especially stressful. you were doing an episode that was there were like thirty five cast members. Yeah, so makeup was stressed. It's, Everybody was stressed. It seemed unique to me, again, as somebody that has no experience, in that the whole thing takes place essentially in one room. So even when you're not in the scene, you have to be there, like being in the background of the scene, because yeah. it's all just everybody's in the room the whole time. And you have to be, I know this sounds obvious, but you have to be in the same position. You have to be doing the yeah. same thing. Yeah. If you shot a scene where you're drinking and then we're shooting the scene that's in front of that yeah. scene, we're cutting it, you have to do the same They actions. had to set the clock back to the yeah, same keep time moving the clock. Everything. they'll do wristwatches they'll move yeah. wristwatches back there's a lot of now that I do other productions you realize just how great Crashing's team is like yeah. if you have like dedicated people like there's a guy right. whose only job it is is to make sure that clock is right. not only job but I mean then it's going to be a right fucking clock yeah. which is pretty exciting and fun yeah. but you well, did a great job thank you the, uh, the oh, thing wow. what I can't believe it We've been talking for 90 minutes. Oh, my God. Nice. Well, uh, we sh- maybe we should talk about music again. <laughs> well, the 90-minute mark, we usually get to the meaning of life, but we will oh. talk about music in the speed right. round. Unfortunately, I'll keep us to that, even though I love talking to you. could talk to you forever. That's an overstatement. Um, you know what I mean. You seem like a fact guy, so I don't want to be too... Hyperbolous. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of pedantic. <laughs> yes. You know who's pedantic? Hmm. Wayne Fetterman. He is. I don't know if you noticed. Man, you he gave said, me shit uh, yesterday. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. He'll stop you and yeah. be like, 
Really? Yeah. He can't. He can't help himself. A horse is like nine hundred pounds. Yeah. Or really, I can't help myself. Yeah. Like I got up this morning. Like he want. That's he. He's got one of those brains. Yeah. Uh, what were you gonna say? No, I. I, uh, I told him. I told him. I was thanking him for having for helping us with the award oh, show. Sure. And I, I said that uh, we literally couldn't have done it without him. I can't believe. Which that. I meant. Yeah. And he said, "Thank you. Thank you." For letting me know you don't know the meaning of the word literally. <laughs> that is everything. I can't believe you almost didn't tell me that. Because it's just more evidence that what yeah. I believe is true and that makes me happy. And I said, no, I meant literally figuratively, Wayne. I figuratively couldn't have done it without you. But you do mean it. I did mean literally. You couldn't have done it that well. We couldn't have he done just it. wanted the modifier like that well, without you. Right. Uh, yeah, like that. But also, there was the, it was a high-stress situation and Kenneth and I have been working together for a long time, and we generally know how to get things done, but also we can go off the rails with each other. Yeah. And uh, Wayne's presence and, like, just attitude and, you know, just the corralling of the whole circus of the whole thing yeah, he's was, like uh, yeah, I mean, there, there might have been, like, actually missed cues, you know, us not being on stage when we were supposed to be like things yeah, could have actually literally gone, wrong. gone wrong yeah literally would have yeah. gone wrong not not just like it wouldn't have been as funny like it might have wayne might have not happened so thanks wayne no we're mad at literally wayne. <laughs> <laughs> well let's just so we don't not talk about it um it sounds like you're jewish raised jewish not observant unobservant yeah. modern Man, Jewish. Yes, but a lot of my philosophical, theological, and spiritual thinking is informed by the theology and philosophy of Judaism. You enjoy the vocabulary and the symbols? No, no. not the symbols. I don't enjoy the symbols. I find some of the vocabulary useful, but mostly there's just been some minimal exposure to, like, you know, the mysticism... And the uh, there for three thousand years, all Jews have wanted to do is sit around and talk about the thing that I think we're about to talk about for the next thirty minutes mm-hmm. and write it down. And then, and then their their, their kids grew up reading what they wrote down and arguing about if they were right or not. And there's the whole written record of it for thousands of years. Right. So it's like a school of philosophy. You right. know, it's like it's like. Confucianism or something. It's like people have just been arguing about it for so long. So there's a lot of wisdom in it. Yep. And a lot of smart people have thought a lot about it. So, um, no, I specifically don't enjoy any of the symbolism or dogma or really vocabulary, I guess. You like Um, the approach. I like the approach. I like the high learn. I like the Eastern Western hybrid of it all. You know, I like the, I like the, like Kabbalah. Jewish mysticism? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, although I'm, you know... I, it sounds like, from what you said earlier, you don't necessarily want to read what old people, what the people of yesterday wrote, as much as you'd like to contribute to the conversation in the style that they were conversing. Well, the the things that they talk about and the conclusions that they've reached, some of them appeal to me in terms of how I, like, how I look at the world. Like, for example, um, I, like, uh, Western, like... Christianity seems to me to be hyper-focused on the afterlife. Hey. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) For my taste. No, it is. Whereas, like, 
Buddhism or something like that seems to be um, uh, also hyper focused on like uh, on like asceticism, you know, self deprivation, um, transcendence, things like that. When I, yeah. I that I, I very I'm very much into that too. But like one of the things that I like about Judaism, and again, I'm like I I am completely non observant. Like I don't. I don't do the traditions. Mm-hmm. I don't observe the holidays or follow the rules. But when I think about like what's important in life, the idea that pleasure and meaning in this life is as supremely important as earning some status for the soul should, there, should you encounter some afterlife, mm-hmm. that's very appealing to me. I'm totally with you. Judaism is a very grounded religion. That's yeah. why it's like baked into a, a heritage and a people and a bloodline. Like right. it's, it's of yeah. the earth. You're not supposed to focus so, too very much on the afterlife. No. Because we, you don't know, obviously. I mean, you talk about this. Nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows what's happening. And so the only thing we really have, as much as we want to say, and there's a whole school of popular, like, there's like a spate of think pieces that come out every year now about every time Elon Musk tweets about it or whether we're living in a, a simulation or not. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that like maybe nothing is real. Nothing is as it seems. This whole world that we live in with our bodies and our five senses and the with things that we perceive, maybe it's all in some way less real than something else, whether that's an afterlife or base reality and we're just in a simulation, you know, built on top of that substrate. That, that's a very, like, appealing thought to us as humans for some reason. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. the desire to transcend our physical presences with the, and that I think attracts us to schools of thought which tell us in some way that this is not real. Right. We like that. But I think it is real. Is real. I mean, it either, it, it either is real or, <laughs> or it's just as real as any other level of reality. And it, the main thing for me is if it's not real, what difference does it make? Because you can't get out of it by definition. Because you're part of the thing that isn't real. Yeah. And any time you were ever in any level of reality, whether it were the afterlife or, or base reality or a simulation, as long as you were precluded from having any glimpse outside of that universe, you could always postulate that the yours was not the real one. Yeah, and but you it, would have no way to verify or whatever. So it doesn't have any impact on how you so why live not your just, life. It's a round us thing, pardon me. But uh, he says, you're in school, why not take the curriculum? Right. Yeah. Uh, I think it does point to a yearning whenever we're like, this is a simulation or this is Maya, mm-hmm. like the Buddhist sort right. of idea, or it's just play or mm-hmm. it's a dance or something. I think it's just speaking to, or a wizard of Oz, you know, it's right. behind the curtain. Right. I think it just points to the idea that there's something that we are that is separate from what's happening. Meaning mm-hmm. we're, we're in the puppet. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I guess the soul idea. We're, we're animating yeah. the puppet. But there's something behind it that's going, what's going on? But yeah. you're saying you're more interested in, well, while this is going on, let's go on with it. Um, sometimes. In, in some way, I am saying that. But I'm also very interested in, in the discussion and the perception of that duality between 
you know, the physical and the spiritual and the, you know, the body and the soul. It feels like two different things. It mm. feels like they exist on different planes, just the experience of being alive. It does feel like this isn't all there is. Mm-hmm. But also the um, the idea that in some way, bec- I guess I'm open to the idea that this isn't all there is, but if, when it, it bothers me when it comes at the expense of the thing that this is. Right, the idea... That this it's is the Christian idea. Less... This isn't my home. I'm just passing through. Right. Let's get this over with. Right. And one of my favorite Simpsons jokes, where Maude Flanders almost dies, and she goes, "Oh, Nettie, I almost went to eternal paradise. It was awful." <laughs> and I was like, "No, I'm with you. I, I wrote this down today. I said, hell is separation. Heaven is union. Right now and later, potentially. We don't mm-hmm. know, but certainly now." We right. know the things that lock us into this. Right. And there's no greater feeling that I experience, potentially, of divinity outside of uh-huh. certainly psychedelics um, than creating things and sharing them, getting yeah. in, in a state of flow or what I would call union. Yeah. Right. And that's what is what, the, very much what is playing the experience? With the so I. Well, some a little. It's been a decade at least since my body has just not been able to feel good enough on psychedelics for me to want to keep doing them and get any more meaningful experiences out of them. Mm-hmm. But I definitely have had a lot of great and meaningful, enlightening experiences with them. But so, what is it? What do you mean when you say that the experiences you have with divinity and connectedness? obviously come from psychedelics but also some other some other things like what is that how does that feel to you as a Psych- psychedelics yeah like what are the what are the, what do you think about what are the thoughts that go through your head that where you go oh this feels like being connected in some sort of evidence of divinity nothing it's it's a short answer that sounds like a question that would have a long answer but uh i think it's a short answer it's it's just the feeling of being a fish and seeing water, you know what I mean? Right. You're just like, oh, it's one thing. Right. Like, it, it's never more yeah, obvious yeah. to me that it's one thing. Right. Yeah, thing that experience, itself. right. Yeah. That is the overarching experience of and that's what a psychedelic trip. And that's what spirituality is right. and union of, of mysticism is, right. to me, is finding more sustainable methods to be in a place, to step outside of the illusion, still enjoying the thing, but it's a very different experience creating and sharing. Ramdas would say, like, if you can be a musician but not get lost in musicianness mm-hmm. and not get stuck in the. I just visited him and he was saying to me about comedy, he was like, just be humor. He was like, don't do humor. Uh-huh. It's like, don't do jokes to an audience. Uh-huh. And he's talking about oneness. He's like, right. just be, it sounds esoteric. I actually don't think it's that confusing. Uh-huh. There's a difference between fucking somebody and making love and making love is you're being love. Right. When, you know, sex becomes this right. like very unifying thing as opposed to like cold, hard pornographic, just like, Ooh, I got off in somebody. And there's a similar thing going on where you can just, not get lost in the separateness of audience, audience and you. Right. So that's helpful with psychedelics. I haven't taken psychedelics in years, oh, you haven't, by the way. Not to say that for any puritanical or moral <laughs> thing, but I don't, I don't, I'm with you. I don't have as much of an appetite as, as you might think, although I would like to do them. I do for that sort of cognitive, like experiential thing where that, you know, I know, like what you just said about oneness, I, I feel like I have experienced that enough that I now know and have internalized that that is true. 
and is like a true fact of the universe. Right. But it is hard to like stay connected to that idea and the feeling of that. Um, That's and, it. and psychedelics do, do are, can be like a bit of a shortcut to that and immediate awareness of it. So does for me just talking about it. That's why right. we always talk about it on the podcast. Right. And sometimes I think about like starting the podcast, reading something or having the guest read something, mm. which is like, it's incredible that we're here at the same time. It's incredible that we're stuck in these bodies. Right. It's incredible that we're going to die one day and we yeah. don't know what the, what's going to happen and we don't know how we got here. Yeah. Just to snap us into that moment. Cause I think that is, that frequency is my favorite thing to create. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the, the way that I sort of approached a lot of these thoughts as I was like coming of age was by studying psychology in college and focusing on, on, on the brain, like mm. on, cause the softer side of psychology didn't appeal to me as much as like learning how the brain worked. Mm -hmm. And the main thing that I always took away from studying neuroscience and neuropsychology was like, you know, that, that the brain is fully sufficient is, is necessary and sufficient for creating your entire reality. Mm. You don't, need an external stimulus to perceive something your brain can do it and so there is a disconnect between external reality and your perception of it that becomes that's very obvious in the, in all of the sort of flaws that there are in the brain in the in you study a lot of illusions you know and then you realize how, what the brain what's happening in the brain when it's tricking you into thinking that uh, the room is getting smaller if the walls are built in a certain way. It looks mm -hmm. like the roof is lower, but it's not. It's because of, you, you know, just a flaw, essentially, in your visual processing <laughs> apparatus. <laughs> but then you can, you can, if you get philosophical about it, you realize that, and you know, the, you know the condition synesthesia, right? You've heard of I've this? Heard of that, yeah. Where, like, notes sound like certain colors and various sensory modalities are crossed with others. And in your brain, when you see a color... When when a musical note is being played and your brain makes you see it as a color, mm -hmm. that's exactly the same experience in your brain. The same thing is happening as when you actually see that color. Hmm. So, like, the presence of the color red is not necessary or sufficient for you to see the color red. All that's necessary and sufficient is for your brain to be firing in that way in your visual cortex. So That's what makes... I sometimes think about this. I, I actually don't get freaked out. I'm surprised it doesn't freak me out when we think about all the images we consume and how that affects our inner worlds mm -hmm. and then how the effect on our inner world changes our lives. You think about advertising or you just think about the images that you take in, the countless bloody orcs that I've slaughtered in video games. <laughs> and you, I, this is what happens as I get older. I start to go like, nobody ever explained it to me, the power of images and what what it feels like to hold on to certain tones mm -hmm. and it might not be the best. It might not be the place you actually want to be. Right. I know we love our Liberty and we don't want to be told what to do. Right. Especially when I was young, I want to see some fucked up works and that's yeah. great. And I would never, I'm not going to tell my kids not to do that. That's great. That's fine. I did it way more probably than they even will. But now as I get older, I'm like, if I load myself, you know, there's that, quote over my my sink that i read there's these pictures of these saints and beautiful people and things that just inspire me i notice that the experience of having those yeah. things in my inner world changes everything yeah <laughs> it's hard to be mindful of those things that you know are the most important things all the time that's what you're saying like so yeah. we all we've both tasted oneness in different ways yeah 
We know we that forget it's it. real. Right. Yeah, but you, it's hard to stay reminded of but it. But that's what's so fun about psychedelics as well, <laughs> is when I'm on psychedelics, everything that I study and do all this work uh, to kind of hold on to, even though I never can fully hold on to it, when I'm in that place, I go... It's all true. It's all true. Right. But you know this. You know brain stuff. There are people that have brain. In, I'm not good with hemispheres, but I'm pretty sure <coughs> it's the left hemisphere is the one that wants to think we're all one. Like there's something going on in the gray matter. Okay. That if you have a disruption, there's part of our brain that's like specializes in separating things uh-huh. for our benefit. And then certain people have brain injuries that sort of mimic the symptoms of enlightenment. Right. Where they're like, I hurt my brain, and I... Rob Bell, my friend, is one of those people that had a head injury, mm-hmm. and he was he's never done psychedelics, but when we talk about it, he's always like, oh, that's like when I had this brain injury, and I wow. was eating a burrito, and I understood the burrito. This yes. is how people on drugs yeah, yeah, talk. Yeah. They're yeah. like, I understood... Yeah, yeah what was going on right <laughs> like the oneness of me and the burrito and even like the the energy exchange of eating something and having it go in you yeah like there are all these things going on that when we profoundly become one with them yeah. are really really exciting and then there are other parts of our brain that go that's great but let's keep you alive let's keep you warm right. let's keep you fed and the, the part the thing that i respect most about religious practices or traditions, routines, like behavioral laws or guidelines or whatever that are prescribed by some sort of religion is that at their best, they're designed to sort of keep you in mind of that aspect of reality. You know, they're designed to, when you express thanks before you eat, Yeah. you know, that's what that is. That's, it's, 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 what it's meant to do is make you realize what's really going on there when you're yeah. eating. Yeah. You're supposed to stop for a second. Right. You know, in, uh, in Judaism, you're supposed to say a, a blessing after you use the bathroom huh. because what a fucking miraculous thing that is. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. if it didn't happen for like less than a day, you would die. Wow. If, you, if it didn't work. Right. Isn't it's that like crazy? More, more dire than eating. Is going to the bathroom. Yeah. Like probably you can live, like if you just couldn't evacuate Anything from your body, it might kill you quicker than if you had to go without food or water. Wow. I don't know the biology of that, but it's probably close anyway. That's crazy. But we don't think about that side of it. It's like well, the, the, just the fact that your body's working on a 24-hour basis. The art of not thinking about things is almost what makes us special as a species. <laughs> no, not to say that deer are thinking about things, but like... We have a way of learning to take things for granted yeah. and then building on them. And well, that's, that's progress To is. me, that's because <laughs> the brain, the whole point of the brain is to identify things that are new. And once something's not new anymore, the, whole, the brain, all it wants to do is get used to it so it doesn't have to use up any more of its resources that's paying right. attention to it. The, that's the why path of least resistance. Yeah. The brain is a, an acclimating machine. <laughs> It can get used to any... We, I mean, we can get used to anything. Almost. That's why... And it, I'm happy to say that I can get here, obviously, without psychedelics, is... I, I drink these bottles of sparkling water, and I was sitting with Val. Actually, I had smoked some pot. I hadn't smoked pot in a long time. Katie. <laughs> Wayne. And I was just looking at the bubbles in the water. And I was like, what a shame that I have to, like, 
get high to appreciate these bubbles. Mm. Because they were all going like, and they're popping, and it's yeah. a fucking miracle. Yeah. But you're right; your brain doesn't have the energy. Yeah. It doesn't want to. So yeah. You have to like trick it into doing it. But that's also what you know meditation yeah. can do, and that's right. what conversation can do, and that's what music can do. Totally. Some yeah. of the most connected and transcendent feeling moments of my life have have been from listening to music, especially in live concerts. Yeah. Especially at concerts. It can get you... I think that's what people are so drawn to, is it is sort of like the end of Avatar. It's this communal experience. Mm. And I say this all the time, I don't have that many facts, where like a certain beat will get people's heartbeats synced up. Right. To, so something's happening physiologically. Right. Something's happening emotionally. And, and it can be really beautiful. All these different people, instead of sitting in traffic and hating each other, we're all there together enjoying right. the same thing. Which I'm afraid we're we're out of time because I have to be somewhere at five, but it's okay. One of the things we were going to talk about was how you don't love all music, but we talk about this every time I have a musician on. We talk about how I don't love music and I don't know what's wrong with me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say this: if I'm, if I always, I've sum, summarized it this way: if my heart is open, I love all music. Mm-hmm. Like, but my heart often is turned inwards, trying to look for things to create of my own. And I don't really have the room all the time for someone to be like, there's a painting in my drawing room. And right. I'm like, get, get out of here. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's distracting or yeah. something. But if I'm open, you know that open place? Yeah. Buddy? Yeah. Dance will make good. me cry. Music won't make... It's, it's, that, it's that beautiful, vital space where you realize life is precious and you feel like an alien visiting. Then all music is great, but yeah. I'm just so rarely in that place. Yeah. That's really what's going on. Yeah. No, the only, the only time that I don't like music, um, and it's a thing that I feel like I assume you see in the other comedians or at least some material from other comedians since you're a comedian and you work on it all the time, is, uh, is when I feel like I can see through to their intentions and they're not great. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if I see if I, if I feel like I hear a song and I go I know exactly what they're trying to do, and I don't really believe that it's really what they want to do or care about. That's exactly I'm what not comedy really critique learning is. Learning anything about them or from them or exactly whatever. What comedy critique is. Then that's the only time I that really don't like it. Yeah. Then otherwise, it's just like I mean, you can see somebody who's like not a great guitar player, not even a great singer, by like you know any sort of objective measure. And if they, I mean, they could sing a song that will knock you out as Bob long Dylan. as it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bob Dylan's I mean, not a classically great singer. Right? Not a classically great singer, although he was a good, great guitar player. I'm not but a, like, I just mean, I even was. mean like. What do you mean, was? <laughs> <laughs> I just mean like kicking around the clubs and open mics and yeah. stuff. You know, yeah. undeveloped people. I, th- I suppose, sorry to make it a compliment fest, but that's sort of what you're picking. I picked up on you is an, a level of authenticity. Hmm. And I think the longer I've been doing comedy, stand-up comedy for 18 years now, so you start to get to a place where you value that more than... Right. Anyone can write a good joke. Right. You could even hire someone to write great right. jokes, but what Be yourself. are you transmitting? Yeah. What's behind it? Right. 
And is it something vulnerable? Is it something kind of honest and beautiful? So you can see some, it's a cliche that you go to a show and some guy kills and then the next guy goes up and he's bad. He doesn't do well, mm-hmm. but you love him. Right. And you never stop yeah. thinking about them. It's just, yeah. And that's a good message for anybody trying to do it's music the, or uh, comedy. It's the, it's the speech that Robin Williams gives to Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. Oh. Huh? It's oh. a Robin Williams sound. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. You've never been near a battle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If, I can't learn anything about, from you. I can't learn from a, some in damn a, book. In a fucking book. Book. Yeah. If I ask you about war, you'd probably say Shakespeare. Once <laughs> more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. This is actually a bad line that he makes. Right? You've never held your best friend's head in your lap as he's dying, looking at you, looking to you for help. Yeah. It's like, that's not, that's like overwritten. Right. It's like a cliche. Right. But he made it work and won an Oscar. That's a good actor. I'm not saying it was... Yeah, no, I am saying it wasn't a great line. Yeah. And he made it work. they were so young. They were so young. And whoever ghost wrote it with them, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) I think that's pretty common knowledge that somebody helped with Goodwill Hunting. That's that's not shots fired. I don't know. Somebody at some point, whether it was a table read... Right. Notes. You know what I mean? They did the writing, but somebody at some point was like... Because I heard the first draft was like... He remember that speech where he's like, "Now I'm working for the fucking NSA and I get right, yeah, yeah. four dollars a gallon yeah, or whatever." Yeah. That the original Goodwill Hunting was about a spy, like a genius from Southie. He works for the government and becomes oh, really? a spy. He so somebody that. at some point was like, "How about you just be a genius from South Boston? That's interesting." Right. And then they changed it. This is this is one of the interesting things. That doesn't mean they didn't write it. We're all getting yeah. someone's nudging you this way and this way, but you can only hand out two Oscars. I don't know. I never. I don't hear about those things. I haven't. I haven't been in Hollywood until I got cast in Crashing season, season three, three, which premieres I think in February. Yeah, and features Joey Ryan. May I'd love to find a way to use your music. It is lovely. We didn't That'd talk be about great. it. Enough. We did. Uh, you could use. You could use some songs off of our new album, which came out two months ago, called "All the Things That I Did and All the Things That I Didn't Do." Or. A T T T I D A A T T T I D D for short. <laughs> Comedy duo. Setting it up. <laughs> no, you're working it out of the park. We didn't talk much about music, but I want people to listen to the Milk Carton Kids. I think of, of the things that I think about most of the time on a daily basis, music is like tied for like tied for top tied for like top three. It's, right. It's, you know you mean I mean you have like, other interests. Yeah. Well, first of all, like I have two kids. So they're one and two. I work on the radio <laughs> show live from here with Chris Thiele. Yep. I've been promoted this season to creative director. So wow. that's like a, almost a full-time job. Wow. That just means you tune his mandolin. It means I... <laughs> hey, creative director. I tune all eight <laughs> strings now. <laughs> it used to be. No, you're perfect for that show. Perfect. That's a total behind-the-scenes gig. Which I love, and it's the re- it's the reason why in the last year and a half I've like had to take a crash course in like the comedy scene and yeah. like know as many of the people that are working as I can and what their material is and like well I've started to have some awareness of like what's going on, you know. Chris did the show; he's wonderful, uh, and we'll say on the record. You, so you're not really part of the show yet. I'm, I'm specifically the like a producer of the sh- on the show. And I'm not. I'm not. Well, on there. This is like when Mulaney wrote for SNL. It's like, okay, bump the kid up. <laughs> so I'm saying on the record, that's well. Here's Joey Ryan behind the scenes on live from here 
is John Mulaney in the writer's room on SNL. Right. It's like, get that the only, on the only uh, and that's very nice of you, the only thing that's a little bit different is the, mu- the music of it all. Like, our actual world-class virtuosic geniuses, every single one of those players. Yeah. But, like, but from Thiele, who's the ringleader of it all, to everyone in the band. Yeah. And I can't hang so i would it would be a totally like basically a non-musical involvement unless it were like that's what i'm saying i mean except for when it's our own songs like well you know milk carton kids will go on as a guest and stuff like that but mck mck but you as a performer perfect tone it's like a perfect tone for that show let's get it out there well let's set the intention let's make a vision board (laughs) uh did you guys do that scene? No, I'm sorry to stretch it on, but this is okay. not even necessarily for the podcast. But did the you vision board scene? Yeah, the vision show, yeah. board scene it came out great. So fucking funny. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, we're still be, working on it, but it came vision out. boards work. I should be at home with vision board of Rihanna. It's funny because we are sort of talking about the things that you hold in your brain affecting your inner world, and that does have consequences in the outer world. I don't know about. I don't know about the stories people are like, and then a check came in the mail or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't really care about that stuff. I uh, don't believe in that stuff. It, it's just it's just a a non-starter for me. I just it, it doesn't matter. Can't go either way. Right, right. I don't. It, can't figure it out. For some reason, it's not that interesting to me. I yeah. used to spend a lot of time being like, "Is that?" Real? I'm just right. like, I uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's the way I am with the simulation thing. Yeah, not that interesting in the end. Right. Maybe it is. At, maybe it isn't. Am I supposed to do something different? That's a great... No, great. Right. Right. It's sort of like free will. Free will is not something that interests me. Right. The do we have free will question. What's the difference? Right. And that, that, that's a big if one If we me. do, then what? If not, then what else? That's why like, when people are like, I don't think anything happens when we die. It's just over. I think we have an afterlife. I think there could be an afterlife. I'm sort of like, you're all right. I right. think you're all correct. Yeah. Meaning, I think your ego dies. So what's the difference? Right. Whether or not your energy you're, continues like you're in not some gonna, way. You're not going to know. You might not know, yeah. Right. I mean, if, if reincarnation is a thing, here we are, and we don't remember. Right. That's what made Buddha interesting, was that he did remember. There yeah. are these people that, rem- you know... Um, yeah, and they say purporting. in, like, hypnotism, you can be made to remember past lives and stuff, but there's yeah. just one... I don't know. Maybe I have. Maybe it's like a little bit of knowledge is the worst thing, but, you know, having just a little bit of knowledge about the way the brain works, it's like... Why would I ever think that being hypnotized and having the sensation of experiencing a past life uh, is anything more than a a hallucination or an illusion, of which we know there are so many which feel so real? I have a hypnotherapist, and I've never been tempted Mm -hmm. to do that because I'm aware of my own capacity to manufacture things. I am interested in it. There's a book called Many Lives, Many Masters that I've read part of, and it was a psychologist interviewing a girl and they start doing that I think and they start fact checking some of it Mm -hmm. it starts getting interesting when the person starts knowing Mm. things that Mm. they couldn't know yeah and that's when it gets exciting but you know what it doesn't really blow my my hair back you hear the stories where you're like and then they found the person that murdered them and they made amends or whatever it was right and I'm like I'm with you maybe it's a thing that comes with age where I'm just like and then what right you know I, mean? I don't remember that stuff. <laughs> but you need inner transformation. That's what I'm saying. Any story, any symbol, any tradition is just a map, a potential for your inner transformation. Mm. So we can hear these things. This happens in the course of a day. Like someone can convince you of something 
And then 10 minutes later, you believe the opposite. Right. Because you forgot, and now you're in your car. Right. Like, we can remember that we're all one, and then I'll drive to where I'm about to drive and be mad at some asshole. Yeah. Like, it, that's just what happened. Right. So we're all working with we're what we We're all one have. except for that guy. Exactly. Except for Steve. Just cut me off. Fucking dick. How could we be all one? He just fucking cut me <laughs> off. So do you know the hardest time you ever laughed? We'll just have to do this again, because okay. there's so much that we didn't cover. But oh. can you think of the hardest... Well, let me do this. Speed round. What's a, what's a great lesson you've learned about songwriting? You can be a short answer. It doesn't have to be. Mm. Great lesson about songwriting. Um, well, I think it's like an ongoing lesson of that. The, that this is not in the spirit of the speed round, is it? No, it, speed round just means I'll be quick. Oh. <laughs> Um, I guess it's that I guess one of the lessons that I'm continually trying to learn that I know but I have to remind myself is that the structure of a song is less important than sort of like following it's less important to impose a structure on a song than following where it seems like the song wants to go sounds a little wishy-washy but like you know there are structures which are useful and you should know them but um it's more it's more important to say what you want to say and do the things you want to do musically than to you know than to stay within the structures that you know are that you know are good and useful um you don't have to do the best songs are the ones that it's so obvious when you're writing them that they're going to break out of that structure that you just don't even think twice about breaking the structure because you're like, oh, this song is something a little different. Mm. And, and that's what it is. Those are always the best ones. It takes over. Yeah. You hear so many stories of like, I wrote that so quickly. Or, yeah. I wrote Imagine yeah. in 15 minutes yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. I love that. Or you and hear... you can't write it so quickly if you write a verse and a chorus and you're like, okay, now I need another verse. And it has to be just the same as the last one. Right. Because then all of a sudden you're not in the same space as you were when you came up with the idea for the song in the first place. It's the trance thing. Yeah, it's the yeah. trance. You told me about the devil's chord. Yeah. What was that? It's the, uh, it's the Simpsons thing. Da, 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 da. No, no. Ba, da, da. If you play those three notes together, it's like... And, and I, I don't, unfortunately, know enough theory to tell you which, uh, what, it, it was what interval it is. What? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, my understanding is that it was like banned from church music for hundreds of years because it was like sounded like the devil. This is something you could Google. But it's yeah. the first notes of The Simpsons? The Simpsons... I think it's ba-da. those two notes if you play them together do you have a piano? yeah yeah so no. now or afterwards you can play those it's the specifically the interval the relationship between those two notes uh, so when they're played together yeah okay Emo Phillips told us that remember? yeah that was weird did you know I didn't know who Emo Phillips was? really? Mm-hmm. fun you're kind yeah. of an Emo Phillipsy. you seem like someone who like Emo Phillips yeah um, I did. Uh, yeah, I liked him. Um, now, what, what what is the hardest time you've laughed, or one mm. of them? I often like to remind people it can be when they're young, right? You can be on drugs. 
It can be something your kids did. It can be a fart. <laughs> it often involves shitting pants, falling down. It's it, there's. I can remember. Specific, I don't. There's like three memories that come to mind, and I can remember where I was and what was happening, and I don't quite remember what set me off laughing. But one time was on mushrooms at my friend's house in high school, and God help us if we couldn't. We, I mean, we could not stop laughing. Like you know, it hurts. You think you're gonna vomit. Like you just have to. Your body at some point like stops itself from laughing because it's like trying to shut down. Yeah. And then like once you recover from that physically in your abdominal muscles, then you just start laughing again. I can't. I don't know what what set it us off laughing matter. that way. Mushroom giggles is a good answer. It was a time a couple of years ago that also is a very stupid thing, and I feel a little bad about it because the comment was a little bit mean spirited actually, but. Um, we were all on the on the tour bus in Toronto and a day off and a friend of ours was in Toronto also. He's an actor and he was filming a show. And he um on the bus, like there's twelve bunks and a bunch of you've been on a tour bus. There's a bunch of bedding and like everybody's suitcases are there and everyone's like in their pajamas. Mm-hmm. And he I, and you know what? We were high. <laughs> now that I recall but it was just pot this time um, I like talking about drugs a lot it's, and, and, and I also like you feel somehow like I should say I almost never uh, a big drug person I almost never do, I never smoke pot anymore although I used to a lot and uh, definitely I haven't used psychedelics in a long time but it was <clears throat> very meaningful anyway he said just sort of in a lull in the conversation he goes so you guys sleep on this bus? <laughs> and for some reason, all seven of us just busted up laughing and could not stop. Oh like we're in our, God. it's one in the morning, we're in our pajamas and our slippers, our beds are like right there. We've been living on this bus for a month at this point. And just like we're parked on some alley, in some alley, some side street, you could never sleep anywhere else nearby. And he goes, "You guys sleep on this bus?" <laughs> that that, dude, man, that set us off. One. That set us off. We could not stop. That's amazing. Well, I love it. And we're both not nicotine people. That's the other thing you were going to say. Remember? Yeah, that's right. We both. Uh, you smoked, and it tried never tried to get. Addicted to cigarettes I just didn't take um, Okay I do have to go uh, But what a delight Thank you yeah, You thank feel you. good? Great You feel satisfied? Yeah feel I happy? mean no Could go longer <laughs> We could go longer I know This would have been a Val always teases me She's like Your podcast is not two hours long She's <laughs> <laughs> like I know you think it is yeah. It's not Look at yeah. the numbers Yeah I know I know when when I saw it come through for two thirty to four thirty, I was like, "Oh, do a short one this time." <laughs> I was like, "That's a full episode." Yeah. It's not anymore. It's not, and I apologize. Actually, you know what I thought? What I really thought was he must be trying to like keep him to two hours because like longer than that is is I mean it is kind of absurd. I did have there was a breastfeeding class that we were supposed to go to. Oh, That's yeah, I wanted to ask you about your baby. We could talk yeah. about babies and kids. Let's do it as I get ready to leave. Um, because well, I, I, I just want to ask you one thing about it, not even for the podcast, but like, are you, is it, this, your kid is about to be born, right? Like Any day, day now. Yeah. That's why my phone is here. I never, it is like, 
both times, it was the most magical. The birth? No, the days leading up to the birth. Like life has come to a grinding halt. There's nothing on the calendar, mm. although you're doing this. But like, huh, judgment. <laughs> no, I, I, no, we're I, both. And you were at Largo last night, which, by the way, I would have been there, but I was flying home from Nashville and uh-huh. landed at 9 p.m. That's sweet. We're nesting so hard. Nesting so like we're nesting so hard. There, and I love for it. me both times there was a, a feeling to the air, like the atmosphere. Well, I sleep in bed with a woman housing a newborn soul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it changes everything. It it's really does. Amazing. I, it's like being snowed like in. When you walk down the sidewalk, with does love. it feel different? Everything feels different. It does. Everything has more meaning already. All that feel, all that stuff of like, a guy, become, woman's a mom when she's yeah. pregnant. And dad, it's I'm bullshit. like, no. Yeah. I'm tripping out on it. Yeah. And thrilled. And and everything I do, like I've been getting up. Like I have to finish. I'm trying to finish the book before the baby's born. Uh-huh. So I sort of have this like selfish, yeah. like I don't mind if you're a week late. Yeah. Right. Uh, thing. Yeah. But I'm, like, getting up because I have more purpose. I get up at, like, 6 every yeah. morning to write for four hours yeah. before, sometimes before Val's even away. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's this engine. Yeah. Not just a cold dad, man, masculine, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I got to support. It's like, I have this thing that's yes. about to happen and yes. I want to be as present and as available yes. as I can to it. So everything's different. There's like a weight to everything I remember in those days leading up to it. Yeah. That's a good lyric. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You've grown. You've grown in the course of the podcast. Hold on. Let me write it down. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, would you say keep it crispy? Keep it crispy. <laughs> Thank you. My jeans nine hundred shoes eight fifty. I'm so crispy. I'm so crispy. My ice game make you haters wanna. Do-